0: Please hit like, share, and subscribe. Now enjoy the Practical Guitarist podcast.
1: Good evening, Jim. Good evening, David. I'm having an allergic reaction while we're <laughs> while we're doing the show tonight. My eyes—I don't know if you could tell—they're like watering and they're itchy and they're all red.
0: Yeah, I oh, see no. that. I see that. I am got my allergy meds right here. Yeah, I had to take I had to take Zyrtec, um, and uh, usually I'll take a Benadryl to start things off to kick things off. And the other day I had to take a Benadryl. I was exploding. And it was mm-hmm. right before we'll get to the gig report. I'll talk to that, but F- funny little aside. So mm-hmm. it
1: is the time of year for allergies, but, but um, yep. I ran out my uh, last year in no, a fiscal year with my, my flex card from work. And mm-hmm. I had like a thousand dollars left over or like $1,200 left over. So yep. I had to blow all that money. So I just went and bought right. like, Two years, of, two years mm-hmm. worth of allergy medication, like 15 bottles of ibuprofen. <laughs> I would have done
0: it too. Band-Aids. Uh, when, um, when I first got my first FSA card, you could use it into March of the following year. Right. And so I would always like, I'd reach the end of the year and I go, oh, I didn't use enough. I'm going to get glasses or I would use, I would go mm-hmm. get like, and I get expensive glasses. And we you know, did, and yeah, we did
1: stuff like that, too, because because you obviously right. I, I, I most of the years I don't have a bunch left over. But because right. we were all at home last year, like I nobody used any medical services. So right, it was like, right. what am I supposed to do with all this money? Like, well, it's tax free. So like I bought my wife like 15 wrist braces because yeah, I bought her she, 15 different ones. She could try them all because she's got purple tunnels so it's like this whole thing and now she's just like swapping in different ones you know it's like well this one i like to wear when i sleep
0: (laughs) yeah and and different ones work at different times i have (laughs) the same thing i like to wear one especially my right wrist because i tend to to do this and so i put my right hand over and i don't support the hand and it just kind of hangs even though i sleep in a bed alone it's about a queen-size bed alone. <laughs> Instead of being in the middle of the bed, I'm over on the side, like, falling off. We can't. I don't know. I, you, you, you spend a lot of time fighting that urge when you get, you know, after you've been married. And yeah, we're right, right. Skin, bad stuff. Um, so, <clears throat>
1: yeah. I got what's new. I'll, let me share mine first. I know you got one, too. Cause, yeah. Because mine is not a big surprise, right? Yeah. So, after last week's podcast... <laughs> yes! My, my whammy showed up. I got and, a whammy. And, the WHO. tell 5. people
0: how long it took to come from London,
1: all, all right. So I ordered it on Sunday, and I had it yep. Tuesday. Oh, that's the other what's new. I had it Tuesday. I had it Tuesday. And we've got Digitech news later in the later in the podcast about yep. what's happening there. Um, Digitech products are starting to show up again. You can... In fact, the... I, in fact, I got into trouble because I also had a WH5 on the way from Sweetwater the next day, so it was like.
0: Yeah. Um, but they're the only ones, really, and well, I think there's yeah. an Amazon, there's an Amazon uh, seller uh, affiliate, right? It's got some, but that's, I mean, that's really not saying that. There's I a ton of them there because Guitar Center doesn't have any yet, and I think like
1: C-Sounds standing and, orders. So, like, put put yourself in this position. You heard some from somebody that Digitech is having problems, and your guitar center, do you want to risk buying, you know, ordering a bunch of products, putting money down, yep. um, or having a credit note down yep. when you don't know if they're ever going to show up? Right. Um, so, that's a big part of it. But I also think that they're, like, they were floating around, but they were pretty right. scarce, okay? Yep. So... We'll talk about what I think actually happened at the end of the podcast. I'm glad I got my yeah. WH5 though because I'll be honest with you, this is so much better than the WH4 I had like years yeah. ago and sold. I mean, that's the one that that David Gilmore uses. So right, right. just put that in perspective. It's a brand new <clears throat> pedal that actually ended up on David Gilmore's board. Um, yep. Well, not as And there's it, not a lot of new to, stuff on his board. Technically next to his board. But, you know. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, and actually, the other thing that really surprised me about it is it's like a pancake. I thought it was. I know crazy, they're, right? Because the last iteration was, like, that tall, you know. This yep. thing's, like, it come in this little box. I'm like, in fact, it showed up in an envelope. And my wife goes, um, she goes, I think they sent you the wrong pedal. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. Let's open it up and find out, you know. Um, so, but, uh, it looks like things are going to be changing over in that camp. So we'll talk about later in the episode, Jim, you've got wonderful what's news. I have one more thing to share. Yep. Go ahead. Underneath my desk is a box and I'm not going to get it out from it. It's a big box that has parts from Mauser oh, yeah. for building, yep. a ki- for, for building myself a King of Tone. I'm nice. actually going to build myself cause I need a second one. Um, for, cause I'm going to have two boards and they're going to be very, very close, um, with a King of Tone on one of them. And, uh, it'll actually have the HX Stomp and some other stuff on there, but it's going to be very, very like small and specific. And then I'm going to have my other board with the Amp One on it. That's going to be you know, the more general purpose, but still very small and specific. And so we're going to go down that path and I'll share with podcasts and everything when we, when we start to head down there, what that's all going to look like.
0: Anyway, Jim, now it's your turn. <laughs> um. Yep. I have a bunch of stuff. So <clears throat> like
1: you, but uh, yeah, and you know. mentioned that you, you had one on order, so that's yep. not a shock for this,
0: anybody. Yep. This came in before we mm-hmm. did the gig. So threw it on the board rehearsal day, which was only three business days later, by the way. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, uh, The four. No, four. So uh, the fourth business day, but he got it the day before. So it was three business days. That's how long it took for me to get from the UK. Now, I'm not saying that because I'm putting down Sweetwater or anybody like that. I'm just saying that just speaks to our internal shipping processes and how things just sit. Because you were telling me yours came in, sat at some distribution center. Yeah, it was in, it was in Franklin
1: Park, Illinois for like a day before it So it was actually in sure. the States the next day sitting yeah. in a sorting facility. <laughs> Like, yeah. that's just wild to me. DHL is
0: not screwing around. Let's just put it that way. And that thing is, this thing is so small. The box looks huge. I'm like, what did they do? Well, you've owned the, one before. The actual, yeah, the pedal only fits like right in this little side. Yeah, They do give you the power supply and they did give me a UK power yeah, supply. Yeah,
1: they all they all do that. Like Digitech's done that for years where they where you get yeah. um, all the necessary power supplies for overseas.
0: Which is really cool. So mm-hmm. I got the UK power supply. I don't really care. I, I probably never use it. It went on the board for rehearsal that night. Um myself and the other guitar player used it and it was like wow, buying another one. Mm-hmm. So we both ordered another one. Just saying, that's these things are great little pedals. If you've got a drop in it's but here's the thing you got to remember cuz this is what I found out the first gig afterwards. You have to remember to turn it off. <laughs> you start playing and you're like, "Wait, the hell? What the hell?" Like, it was out of tune. Yeah,
1: like why am I in flat tuning? Like what? <laughs> Um, my biggest problem with those devices is, like, I can hear my strings, even on yeah, stage, I, and it's yeah, like, it throws me a little bit.
0: Um, I, I'm i either using in-ears or we're so loud. I So the, the gigs we did, uh, well, I'll get to the gig report when I get there, but you'll understand why there was no way I was going to hear my strings. Not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just going to throw this box because I don't care. Yeah. It's just got a power supply in it. All right, so... <clears throat> I got, I think I talked about this. I ordered, a, um, I don't know if I talked about it on the channel, but I ordered a white cable. It's got green on it. You're going to have to pull that green notice off. The, notice the guitar. Yeah, I know. I'm actually going to use plumber. I'm literally just going to take plumber's tape. Because um, uh, they make a white plumber's tape. I got a white Dan. Uh, are you, what are you, a stormtrooper? Yeah, kind of. Well, like I said, I got that. I'm going to have a white guitar. And, uh, I have a white guitar, and um, this thing is hard to get out. And I got this, which I'm unveiling um, here. I'm going to unveil two things. So this unveiling is a white uh, Telefunken M80 SuperCardoid microphone. Unfortunately, it has this. What it goes with the white and black um, aesthetic, which is fine. He gets some spray paint. Yeah, that's that's what my son said. He said, "Yeah, just spray paint stuff that's black, um, and don't worry about it." But I'm not gonna spray paint this. No, uh, but it does come with the with the bag. I gotta say that this bag feels a little bit different than the shore bags. Nicer shore bags feel or- a little more, a little more leathery. This feels a little more, uh, not as nice. Yeah, which I was surprised because these are a lot more money. Well, sure used um, to have really
1: nice bags. And they have and slowly have gotten crappier mystery, and crappier over the years. Over, over the years, the years. yeah. Because um, I've got one of the old, old sure bags from the 90s. And yeah. it, it's noticeably too. heavier padding
0: and like the and leather said, feels. Yeah. Feels like a real leather. Got that thing. So now I've got one more thing. Mm. So I talked about this on the channel and I said, um, you know, I kind of need this. And at the gig, I said... I'm, I'm not where I want to kind of need it. Mm-hmm. And so
1: I, uh, well, I let me know to- how the M 80 sounds. Cause I, I'm always curious about microphones and, and vocal mics because everybody I know uses 58s, but I sort of want to start exploring other vocal mics of that ilk.
0: My, uh, my rep has a channel where, cause he's a, uh, My Sweetwater rep is a, um, is a, what do you call it? A saxophonist. Bless you. Yep. A saxophonist. And he has a channel where he does a lot of mics and he did the telephone. And he said, Jim, if you're not going to spend the money on a a $400 Shure um, SM 99, it was, it was a really high end. It was out of the SM series. It was like a KM 99 or something. He goes, Get this M80, um, you know, and you'll you'll really like it. And he goes, and it's a step beyond the 58 beta. He goes, you, you'd hear a definite difference between it. Yeah, because the, right, the beta so,
1: is uh, a standard for a lot of my friends. So, yep. anyway.
0: So, I got the Taylor. Yep, that's the uh, mini. This is the Koa mini. So, one thing to know, um, people who have had them. It's a nice uh, top. On it really. them, it's a beautiful top. And... You know what, the, you see how nicely book that is? Yeah. They
1: took
0: the time to do the same thing on the back. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're and,
1: and because they use machines to do so much, they can spend more time doing that kind of stuff there. Right. Um, the only problems that I've heard people report to me about Taylor over the years are that because they use what I would call replaceable construction methods, yeah. Um Necks warping, stuff yep. like that. Um yep. so just you know, keep your eyes on that.
0: But yeah, uh I well aware of the neck and top problems that that have been reported. So um and I bought I bought another very important thing the the minute I bought it. hmm So I'll, I'll show that in a second. So allergy G S Mini, this is the Koa Plus. So it's got the um uh the higher end, I'm just showing the little knobs here, the little knobbies higher-end Fishman pickup <clears throat> system, easy to easy to replace battery, um, just like you probably have. It's on the butt end. Just pop battery out, pop battery back in, um, and it's short. So these are short scaled. <clears throat> so the minis are twenty-three something scale versus a twenty-four and three-quarter or a twenty-five inch scale. So they are a shorter scale but, um, guitar, and mm-hmm. you can tell. When you hold it, you can tell right away. Um, it's all about the twelfth to the, you know. Here, you're not, you're not going to be playing up here, anytime soon. Past the past the fourteenth fret is a pain in the rear.
1: Yeah, I always thought um, that was a problem on mine, even when I was playing over the, well well over yep. the fourteenth. <laughs> yeah, and you play. Yeah, you no, play literally hard. got my hand like up on the flat top. You know, it's almost
0: like tapping. You know, when they said that it came with, let me put this. them. they said it came in a bat or in a case. I went, oh man, I really prefer the bags. They have these beautiful bags. And he goes, "Have you seen the case?" And I go, "No." And I go, and he goes, "You kind of probably want the case." And they pull, they ga- they brought down the case. The case is a bag. Yeah. But it's, it's like a really hard bag. Yeah, it's like the um, Kiesel
1: bags. It's very, very stiff yep. and like rigid.
0: With the rigid thing in the neck. Mm -hmm. The guitar's not even in there. They got this rigid cover for it. And um, uh, they've got the pocket, obviously, in the front. Uh, All that good stuff. So I was actually like, you know I like that. I was going to just ask them for an aftermarket bag because a lot of people leave the bags and they Mm -hmm. buy cases. Yeah, those... uh, I mean, Taylor
1: in general doesn't skimp on the accessories. Um,
0: Yeah. So... (laughs) <laughs> and this and i bought this separately so if you're buying an acoustic you might as well because you're going to want to get one of these this will get put in tonight and stuck in it this well, room I, is, I
1: can't imagine where you're at though it's like you, you you're in a need for for adding moisture it's probably more just yeah it's a, more when it gets dry
0: with a few times a year yeah. There's there's about three months of the year where it gets dry and that's about it. Where these packs are. Doing how it. how long does a humidipack <laughs> last you? Out of curiosity. My humidipack so far, I bought one for the, uh, the Gibson, and I literally threw it away on purpose a year and a half later. It didn't need to be replaced, yeah, right. but I was like, all right, I better throw it away and get new ones. Right, you might I, as well.
1: I mean, for what they cost, you know.
0: Twenty bucks for insurance. Right. So it was. It was one of those things that was a uh, um, kind of an impulse buy, but the case is nice. They they do a good job. Um, And uh, the other thing that I liked about the case, I don't know why I'm zipping it, um, is they 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 kind of age. They they even age the stuff here. So it looks because I've got cases, you know, where the bags where this gets this gets tarnished. They tarnish it for you. They're like, you know what? It. It's, gonna, it's gonna get tarn- We'll just tarnish it for you. But it sounds beautiful. I don't care great. about.
1: I mean, I don't really care about the the
0: zippers and
1: that kind of crap. As long as the zipper's yeah. sturdy.
0: Um, and, and it's yeah, and it's a sturdy
1: looking yeah, zipper. Like almost all zippers are made by YKZ anyway. So
0: <clears throat> I know. Yeah, I was gonna say the same company makes just about every zipper. Whether you're talking blue jeans or or. Uh, your your luggage. Even if it doesn't say YKZ or whatever it is on there or what's YKK.
1: even if it doesn't yeah, say YKK. that on even if it doesn't say that on there, it's still made by them. It probably chances <laughs> the yeah. are. Um so all right. So is that all of our what's new? I think that's my whole
0: what's new, which is a lot.
1: That's yeah. a lot of what's new. There's a lot of stuff you know, we're we're twenty minutes in, so yep. all right. So we're gonna talk about the first topic. Which which actually oh. Jim brought to to the to my attention and I sort of did a little bit of light reading on it real fast before we did the episode, but um we're gonna talk about Gibson's representation at Coachella.
0: Or lack thereof.
1: Yeah. Um Go, Jim, because I, I think this means a <clears> lot <throat> to you and to me it's like this is exactly what I've been saying all along.
0: Yeah. I don't I first of all, the surprise factor to me was it's This is big. nil, right. Well, <clears throat> oh, and there's a there's another thing. There's a bass guitar we should probably talk about for about 40 seconds that kind of gave me the same thing. You know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I talked about it. And I was like, yeah. oh, my God, this $400 bass. And it's like it, every single thing you read on the, or get on the Internet, it says subject to change. It says it right on there. Subject to change without um, prior notice or pr- whatever. <clears throat> so – it's even in jobs i mean it's like so what you're saying is that they may have changed it they might not have you may have gotten one that was not the same. who knows so I, that's like that's the biggest news It's not news that's flown through the it's it's a beautiful thing what the internet does first of all it's coachella okay mm-hmm. and i'm not saying coachella isn't big. big coachella is huge coachella is a gigantic thing but coachella is famous For what types of artists? Indie artists. And it's young indie artists. And they're looking to be, you know, um, looking to do their thing. They're they're not typically backed by a lot of money um, from, uh, you know, labels or anything like that. And, of course, they're going to be backed by stuff. But there was one, I had to laugh because one of the artists at Coachella... Because I'll tell you who else wasn't um, big at Coachella was Texas Roadhouse. And, and you're like, Jim, what does Texas Roadhouse have to do with this? Um, I'll tell you what Texas Roadhouse does to do with it. It costs a little more than money to eat there than Taco Bell, who got a big shout out um, because someone said, Yes, I brought back the, uh, the, um, the Mexican pizza. At Taco Bell. So, <laughs> I'm just saying that the target of, of um, you know, there isn't, you know, the, the target audience. And I'm talking about the audience outside of Coachella. I'm talking about the people who would watch it, the people who enjoy the music. And there's nothing wrong with that music. Um, and, the, and that folks, they're not looking to buy Gibson's. And they're not... Even if everyone there played a Gibson, I don't think it would sell more than a few more Gibsons because of the price tag. Honestly, I think you could have given every artist there a Gibson, and they still would have been, yeah, well, Harley Benton's just as good. Well, you know, Firefly's just as good. This one's just as good. So I don't think that really would have been money well spent. Um, And... <clears throat> you know to to give a bunch away and gibson is doing stuff for younger artists or they have been um it's just that those people are still they haven't made a big yet and so it's it's just it's a process and it's a thing and th- there were people talking about how it was mostly clean guitars and clean sounds and clean amps i'm like yeah that's a thing that that does this in the music market you know for years we hear clean music and it's and that's what's popular and everybody loves clean. And then all of a sudden they want everything down tuned and and uh and unless anybody doesn't remember emo and streamo and then the, the stuff that followed that <clears throat> and Linkin Park and everything else. I mean, I'm talking about the nineties folks. <laughs> that was post my time. So, and we had it with the clean stuff. And then we had the the stuff that came afterwards. Everybody was like, screw disco. We want to hear, you know, st- stuff that that rocks. So, it, it just goes in cycles. And I'm not, I don't think it's a, I don't think it is what everybody made it up to be. That's what I'm going to say. Um, it was my long way of saying it was the biggest piece of news that wasn't a piece of news. To me, this, you know, right along the Gretsch sixty twenty or whatever that had a um, pickup that wasn't the right thing. It was just, ta-da, surprise, huh? Uh, that's, that was surprising, shocking. Uh, <laughs> a bunch of people in marathons ran with sneakers. I mean, it was like, uh, okay.
1: So, I just want to back up for a second because, like, <clears throat> all right, I'm going to make myself look really dumb. Um, and that's fine. No, no, you're not. I think not. it was about five or six years ago was the first time I heard of Coachella. Okay. Yep. That'd be for and, me too. And it was a, but right around the time, like Burning Man and all that stuff was taking off and South mm-hmm. by Southwest and all the different major music festivals that sort of spun out of Woodstock. Yep. 20. Woodstock 3 or Yeah, 2003 yeah. or whatever, that just like blew up and like collapsed yep. on itself. Um, yep. and... So most of these music festivals, right, are driven by independent talent. Okay? Or people that are like yep. maybe right on the tier of like hitting that successful limit. Um yep. and I would suspect that some of these artists that are that are appearing at Coachella are like right there about to about to make it. Uh being, yep, you know, break. the big you, the big, you know, the big new name, right? So the kind of names I would expect to see on a roster for Coachella are people like Machine Gun Kelly and yep. Those kind of artists, um, I don't see a lot of them in the roster actually, which is kind of surprising to me. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna put some things out that I think might actually shed some more interesting light on this, and in, in the respect that like I think people assume that Coachella is like this big haven for the major acts, and really the only one I saw in here was uh, Billie Eilish, and yeah. so. And that's not to say I'm totally out of touch with music. I see some other names I recognize, but don't necessarily know their music. Like Harry Styles is on here, for example. And, yeah. um, I'm not really in touch with like pop, the pop music right now. Just not. But he, um, yeah. Fat Boy Slim. Okay. Is going to be there. Was, yeah. was or is going to be there. I was there. Cause I think it's over now. Right. Um, right. Right. It ended. And um, Danny Elfman, which, which that one was bizarre to me. Cause I'm like, wait, this guy's a film scoring person now. Like, he yeah. had his heyday with Oingo Boingo and then he went off and he started f- scoring film. What the hell is oh, he doing at Coachella?
0: Forgot. <clears throat> I forgot he was with Oingo Boingo. Yeah, like that yeah, is right. really,
1: really weird to me. It's to a see dead him. man's
0: mm-hmm.
1: Um, So the reason why I bring this up is because Coachella isn't really about the music. It hasn't been ever. I know people people oh. want to make it about the music. Do you know what it's about? It's about the celebrities who go and like post their instagram pictures of their right. freaking fancy like accommodations and oh look at us we're having you know margaritas watching so and so on the main stage in our in our private cabana like yep it, it has nothing to do with that now what it does have to do with is everybody wants to play there because those celebrities buying in and investing their time into somebody's music might launch their career, right? That's so right. if you're That's if you're right. in that tier, that might be the extra push over the cliff you need. So for right. um so for this sort of situation, what I do want to say is like this is just indicative of the major market trend which is that Gibson isn't the popular company that everyone thinks it is who plays guitar right now, okay? Um, this is not this is not a shock. It shouldn't be a shock to anyone. And this doesn't mean anything new. The fact that Gibson was basically absent just means that right now people aren't using those sorts of sounds. Now I think it's really really funny that the some of the some of the um, forum conversation stuff like I, I read a, a, a thing on the Gear page talking about well you know guitar is in its clean state or whatever right now and people are preferring single coils and overdrive and it's like. That has nothing to do with it. Um, I I know people are like, oh, it's got it's just clean or whatever. It has nothing to do with it. This is a very aesthetic driven um, choice nowadays. And for a lot of people, maybe the tone of a single coil might be something that they want. But like, there was a time when a single coil through a fuzz pedal was seen like as like a like a shitty farty kind of sound and nobody liked it. And that would have been post Jimi Hendrix. And it was like Jimmy. Jimmy only used it because that's what was available to him. Was kind of the thought process there. Um, you talk to any salty dogs who've been around around the block for a while, and I'll tell you, like, you would have much rather used a rat, you know, than than you know a fuzz phase um, So, I um, I don't hail from that. Like, I'm like, do what you want, make the sound you want to come out of your instruments. So it doesn't matter to me. But I think that there's a lot of aesthetic choice being being drawn here. Um, fender guitars look noticeably different than Gibson. Uh, I hate to say it, but I think a lot of, a lot of younger people specifically look at Gibson as like the pre 1950s aesthetic. And then the 1950s aesthetic as the pro thing. So like, for example, why do you think Eastwood guitars are so damn popular right now? Because all they do is reissue like airline style guitars and stuff of that ilk, right? Stuff from that generation of, of instruments, um, Univox high flyers and stuff like that. Yeah. um, There's a reason why that exists, right? Like some company didn't get behind this idea because they were like, well, we got the rights to these guitars and we're just going to make them and hope they sell. No, they knew that they were going to sell. They knew that the the whatever generation was coming up was going to buy into those sorts of designs. Reverend is another classic example, right? You don't see Reverend trying to make traditional shape guitars, although they do make tellies and Strat, or yeah, they do make a strat. They make tellies and strats and I think they do have a Les Paul shape, but it's kind of similar. And they used to make the V and they used to make the V, but the vast majority of what they were selling was very Telecaster oriented kind of body with some with some sharper angles on it and um, stuff like that. I, the reason why I'm pointing this out is because I would far more likely see a Reverend or a Fender. Well, we obviously saw tons of Fenders, right? A Fender or a Reverend or any of those guitars on a stage like that. The other thing you got to remember is the prices of vintage Gibson are stratospheric. and That's f- right. And for somebody performing <laughs> in Coachella... Remember, they're they're you know they haven't quite made it yet. Buying that two hundred thousand dollar fifty nine Les Paul is totally
0: out of the realm of affordability for these people. Um, yeah, I think even if you left out the the vintage market and just stuck with the newer market, it's still considerably more money. Yeah, um, but I
1: will say this: Fender has a better artist relations program. They.
0: I yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna disagree with you. Um I I'm gonna I'm gonna say this that, that that the aesthetic thing, um first of all, nobody nobody was talking about the fact that there were a lot of guitar companies not represented there. And the the decision to pick and I'm not saying you're picking on Gibson, Gibson could you know it's like saying you're picking on um someone twice your size it's not it's funny um i'm, I'm just saying that i'm not that, picking like, on Paul, gibson
1: i feel like this is yeah, just reality even, this is just reality yeah, yeah
0: mean, exactly um i'm just saying that, that there were not as many prs as there if any there were very PR- few ibanez there there was very few schecter there it was really and schecter has been at these other um events n-
1: none of those guitars have the aesthetic that is the thunder right. 1950s is. like space
0: age aesthetic right that's like, right that's exactly right and that's what we're going for and and there's i don't know if anybody remembers the last time that looks were more important than sound hair metal but i do remember no no that new metal for sure 100 and yep, new metal okay point, that was the last time pointy You're strats right. Pointy, pointy strats. So we have this, this, um, yeah, because it was hair metal and obviously new metal. So there's always a time when aesthetic overtakes. You, you mentioned Harry Styles. Harry Styles is not going to strap a guitar around his neck that doesn't go with his, his outfit, right? Because he's a pop star. That's exactly right. And there's nothing. I'm not. Look, if anybody thinks of putting them down for that, you're talking to a guy who's buying white stuff to go with his white Les Paul. That, that is not, that's not what I'm well, saying. Well, you're not a pop star, Jim. Like, I'm just going right. to gonna put that out there. <laughs> and, and you're right. But I am saying that I'm doing the aesthetics thing. I'm not sitting here putting somebody down for doing the aesthetic thing for any amount of money or reason. Um, I'm just saying that, that Machine Gun Kelly isn't playing a guitar that doesn't go with his nail polish. Okay, so... I'm, you know, and his, you know, he goes at Karen's R Us to buy clothing. Nothing wrong with that if he wants to look like a uh, 30-year-old guidance counselor. But whatever. I mean, it's his aesthetic, and that's cool, and that's his thing. And I'm just saying that there's nothing wrong with that. But as soon as the backlash comes, it's just like, you know, I remember we we talked to uh, um, Michael Badio. He was thrown in that category of there's Harry Metal and it's all aesthetic and it's yeah, blah, blah, blah. Despite the fact and, that he had had a band before
1: that, that was right. not even that aesthetic at all. Holland, right. by the way.
0: And, and that's where, unfortunately, at that point, the talent and the sound got mixed up with that. George Lynch um, got thrown into that. Dude, uh, dude, dude. all right. So I'm going to have to interrupt because I, I want to
1: share something. Yeah, you mentioned George Lynch. I've been down this George Lynch tirade, um, and I almost made it a topic tonight. But I'm not, we're not going to do the topic. But okay. I am considering, because I've been looking for a book that already does this, but like considering researching and writing a book about uh-huh. the strip during the time when Van Halen and yep. Quiet Riot... And um, George Lynch's various bands before he took off um, were all playing basically adjacent to one one another. Sometimes on the same bills. Um, And the reason why I want to write this is because there's so many stories that each of them tell that like like Eddie Van Halen refused to admit that he was showing up at these backyard jams and playing with uh, George Lynch. But right. George Lynch says, no, that was definitely happening. And there are other people who have corroborated that. And right. like that there was a big rivalry between all of these guys. And it's like nobody wanted to admit that there was a rivalry, but there definitely was. OK. And uh, I, I, I really want to write a book about it because I feel like this is like lost history. Um, and it's yeah. really important to the music that I like um well i i like because it's almost a parody of itself but i but i think that uh it's culturally relevant and i would rather write this book when you can get interviews with some of the people that were alive when it happened like for right, example right. the guys like that george owned gazaris and all the different yeah. the different clubs that were down there it would be nice to be able to like get in touch with some of those people and sit
0: down with them and ask them about their experiences
1: well, with some of these different individuals
0: it would be it would be nice to talk to folks like george lynch and Kip kept Um, you know all these guys that were uh, Paul Gilbert and Mm -hmm. uh, Steve Vai and Joe Satriani so there are
1: books that do that but I want to specifically chronicle that area and that time period because it set up music for basically from 1977 to 1989 everything that happened happened because of what happened in
0: 1977 to 1979 like and I can tell you so here I was budding teenager I turned teen in 77 right and what was big in 1977? It was disco. Yeah. And then Van and Halen 1 came out. Van Halen broke <laughs> it. I mean, it literally broke its back. It was it was Bane to Batman. It just... Yeah. And uh, it was... They overnight, were... people wanted to hear Van Halen or they wanted to hear Leonard Skinner. And yeah. it was just... Um, you couldn't get enough of either that Southern country rock style thing, which which was a guitar thing all of its own, or, and I'm talking about, I know Leonard Skinner existed before that, but it was like, boom. And then you had Van Halen and all the stuff that came after that, it just exploded Mm -hmm. and people were burning records and, and, oh, these guys suck so bad. And I would never listen. And the Bee Gees couldn't, the Bee Gees couldn't sell lollipops at a a, um, roadside stand.
1: Yeah, their career was basically destroyed
0: all in one fell swoop and it
1: all happened yep. all at once. It was like everything came crashing down all at once. And I have right. I've always believed that was because of Van Halen, but there was a lot of other things that influenced that. Mm-hmm. Um and were. it's just it's interesting because like there's another there's another whole aesthetic that basically lacked Gibson's and it was a revolt against what was before it. And Gibson's were not popular in the disco scene either. They were no. popular with the lounge rock acts that sort of, like, were, they were pop acts, but they were, like, they weren't disco, but they were, like, in that same era of something like, like, um, was it Atlantic Sound Machine and stuff like that? There were yep. different, yep. different bands that were around at that the time. Yacht Rock of the time, man. Yeah. Basically, yeah, that's, it was, it, yeah. we call it Yacht Rock now, but, but back then
0: yep. it was just pop rock with, you know, and, yeah. and, and, the, and pop rock, it actually was rock, right. you know? It literally um, was lounge lizard music is what it was called. Lounge lizard. And, and the, the honest truth of, of that time, if you saw a person playing Gibson, was probably a jazz guy.
1: Yeah. And yeah. Um, I don't recall. I mean, it's like really, so we, if you think about it and you want to popularize and think about who made Gibson popular, there's a handful of folks, right? So like, very small. there's, you know, Les Paul himself, and I'm not saying yep. that these are the only people that used Gibson, but like right, 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 these are the ones that that sort of nailed it home. And I'm not even going to put Clapton in this because even though Clapton was like one of the first guys to latch onto it, I think Jimmy Page, Page. Um, was one of the one of the most important because I mean, look yep. at it. He's, he's in Led Zeppelin, and like from 1969, right. when they they their first album came out, in like 1969, 1970, um, from 1970 like what 1980 they split in like 82 um was all jimmy page with the les paul right uh even though we know now that you know and we knew back then some people did that it was a telecaster um in a lot of cases and and 335s and stratocasters and other things he was using in the studio but like when you went to see him live
0: it was les pauls right it was um, on st- and and that movie, what was the name of the, the movie? Sound remains uh, the same. Sound, sound remains the same. That was Les Paul's.
1: Yeah. So, what I'm trying to think of is like, who after them was okay, that so,
0: was that big slinging Les Pauls? The next one that kind of so Jimmy Page was on his his uh, you know his peak, and you had Frampton. Frampton comes alive. Yeah, that's um, true. Frampton was and, Frampton was big into to Gibson's. But he did a lot album, of other stuff too. Hamers and, Oh yeah, oh yeah. But see the thing is, the album cover had what? Had yeah. Les Paul. And it had that Black Beauty. Sure, sure. Right? The Phoenix. And um which it wasn't at the time, it was the Phoenix at the time because it hadn't been burned. Um and then uh who who kept Les Paul's going? It was very small number of people. It's always been a small you know, whether it was um, Cheap Trick, before the Hamer days, what was it? Do it yeah. You look at the, the cover of um, uh, the um, Live at Budokan, which is the, it, the penultimate. Um, it was the first big and really the penultimate Cheap Trick album. And that's... Uh, well, that's know, because that's cheap, Tri- with- cheap Trick was never like an A-list band. That right. like
1: uh, I think a lot of people in my generation sort of have that kind of mixed up because they, they lose cheap trick. Like, they were they were always sort of a fringe or like cult band. They like people yep. almost like almost like the Ramones, they got shared around with the really cool people, but it wasn't yep. like you weren't gonna turn on the radio and hear like the new Cheap Trick single. That just didn't happen. Um That's right. Tom Schultz with the uh, with um uh, so, Boston. So the reason why I would point the finger at Boston and say no is because Boston only had the two albums for like 30 years, right? So like they yeah, may have they only may three, have, that that third one is yeah, forgettable. But they, they, the you third spawned over third. 30 years because they did one yeah, and they, then they did two. They did, and then there was like 30 years later, they did three.
0: No, it was uh, it was twenty years. It was about twenty years. It was whatever. Late, I mean, late, you get late the late point. you get the
1: point. By the yeah, time they I know. pushed it the was third one out, like heart. no one
0: cared, you know. And um, and you know what? Every one of the albums, though, what was the what was the thing on the album? It was a Les Paul with that was shaped like a UFO, and it was and yeah, and it, the artist is so it, bad that like nobody even it was, realized so- it.
1: Do you know what I mean? Like until somebody plays kind of it out, you're like, on the "Yeah, first
0: album. those are Les Balls." Oh wow, they are! Well, I'll um, be damned. Um. <laughs> but but you had hard rockers, really hard rockers, and were still doing it. And and it was still those fringe guys, the guys from uh, again. That's where I when when I saw my first Les Paul, um, you know, that was that was not like Jimmy Page. It was it was freaking Ario Speedwagon. And um, you know, uh he was Gary Richrath was a a whole whole all in Les Paul player. Um then Lizzie, Les Paul, um when I was seeing him. Not to say they didn't use strats because they did. Gary Moore's very famous for that. Yeah. Um and then uh um the uh uh foreigner guys, um Mick Jones played a Les Paul. played a Les Paul custom. And uh, even some of the – believe it or not, because if you're a pop guy like I was, you were watching TV. And this is where I think um, Gibson is dropping the – is and isn't dropping the ball. We had we had these shows back then. They were TV shows because it was pre-MTV era. And you'd have these TV shows that were like um, – they'd, they'd show a band. And they were usually miming their music. But what it was – whether it was The Suite doing Ballroom Blitz or it was um, – uh, what's his name doing magnet and steel or whatever? They were playing Les Pauls, and it's funny because you didn't know if they were actually. No one thought about whether or not the stuff was right. That kept the the aesthetic alive. It was like this is a pretty guitar. It's a for television guitar because in those days you still had dress codes for a lot of things and being on TV and being on um, in, in certain things meant you dressed up and. That was it. Was part of the oh look, I'm part of the in crowd and part of the upper crust. Let me ask it, you a question,
1: because yeah. I because I, I think you're onto something. But but we're we're being we're not thinking like we should be about this. Okay, Coachella no, is I, not no. aimed at people our age. No, Even that's our right. age, I'm 37, that's
0: and right. I would and be a,
1: very old at Coachella. Yeah, yeah you'd um, be one of the old guys. You'd be an okay boomer. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm getting at here. Okay. So this is why, this is why I bring this up in order for, and, and, and this is, this is like an awakening for a lot of people. They don't realize this in order for an artist to get a record company to push them, they either have to have had 20 years of hits, right? right? Or they have to be young. And yep. you're really not gonna young. get. So I'm 37. I got a new band. There's no way in hell I will ever have any sort of major label interested in, in what I'm doing. No, no way. You never will gonna have. Only happen. have independent. That's right. Because I'm too old. Okay. Yep. Um. And and actually, like my whole band is too old. Um. And I'm comfortable with that. You know, I, it doesn't bother me in one bit. Um. In fact, it gives yep. me more freedom. I can do whatever I want and not give a shit. Um. Which right. is which is inspiring to me, but. So, this is where things get interesting, right? So, if we're talking about Coachella and these young kids that are playing Fenders, what does this tell us about the market? This tells us a very specific thing. The only people, uh, or the only guitars that young people are buying are Fender. Yep. And Fender Aesthetic. Right? I I agree with you wholeheartedly. So, here's the problem, and we've said this on this show multiple times. How does Gibson expect to capture that market because they have done nothing literally nothing in a decade to capture that market in fact they named a brand ambassador from a band that was in their heyday in 1989, 1989. okay yep. they have we said it the same time they have their other guy is Joe Bonamassa which is a literally a museum of their guitars going around, like it couldn't get more bogus than that for a, for young generations.
0: Like here's this fucking mobile museum, right? Like what, outside of their yeah, and outside of their own channel, the only YouTuber that really covers Gibson for the most part is who? Uh Probably Trogley. Yeah, there you go.
1: I mean, there. I. 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 You know what? I don't think that's necessarily completely it. true, but. um And I don't have a hatred of Gibson guitars. Like, I want to make this clear to everyone. I just either. Well, we that's obvious, Jim. Like, thanks for stating the obvious Um, (laughs) shit. Uh, He's got eleven thousand dollars at minimum of Gibson's hanging behind him. Um, (laughs) So uh, anyway, point is, uh, when you stop and you and you evaluate, you know, what level of efforts being put out here. I, th- I mean, we did, there was something Gibson did recently where I was like, OK, now I can see them trying to aim themselves a little bit more directly at young people. But um so even like Gary Clark Jr., right? And uh, some of the people that are signing up. They're signing up these blues rock guys that are yep, now Gary, Gary Clark is a little bit more than a blues rock guy. But they're signing up these people that are very, like, focused on their target market instead of yep. looking. And they had people that appealed to younger Generations and bands like Mastodon and stuff like yep. that, and they let those relationships die on the vine,
0: which that, yeah, which is that dangerous. Big huge. Okay, so that was a big huge mistake. That I think that that they're doing better, but not as fast as they should be. And I and uh, I the have first a first the- one. To I crazy, have a theory.
1: So yeah, they go ahead. Do better.
0: So obviously, in the Jessica Witts era. They did a terrible job with artist relationship. Not bad, terrible, horrible job. They yeah. had I mean people they were literally bits. slamming them in public, burning their bridges. There was a, yeah, there was a while when you'd see Guitar World, Guitar One, Guitar Player, and if there was a new person on the on the cover, whether it was Puddle of Mud or whoever, it was a PRS or a Gibson. And mm-hmm. that's what you saw. You didn't see Fenders on there for the most part. Um if it was a new band. So that is a huge. That's a, like you said, Mastodon, and um, there was another band like that, Opeth or somebody. Anyway, it was huge, huge stuff, and they had great relations, and they tarnished those relationships. That is hard to bring back. If 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 you screwed me over, if I'm if I'm them, and you've screwed me over in the past, and you walk back in, let let's say you're the Mastodon guys, and and they send their new guy out there, and it's hey, I'm with Gibson, but I want to try to mend bridges. <laughs> yeah. Are you going to are you going to mend those bridges? Probably not. Not not the way I've heard. They were screwed over. So, yeah, um, all I'm saying is that I think that that there's going to be a little while, just like in the 80s, when nobody wanted a Gibson that that we're going to have another uh, lull. But the thing is, it's just. Gibson is kind of like that car that you can't afford and finally you can and you get one or the motorcycle or the whatever and you finally get one um, and it and for for some people, not everybody, not I, everybody I think that's a very specific group of people that are much
1: older than the target audience they need to be gunning for that's, I don't see young people looking at that brand anymore as that's desirable, that's a
0: grandpa's I, guitar, that's what they would say I don't, you know the one thing I can say about young people and it's only the ones this is very what do they call it when it's only the things you see there's a there's a word for that um narrow narrow-minded <laughs> no. <laughs> no no but it's uh, I, I know what it's that you only get when you're you're the one that sees them or you're the one that experiences them there's a word for that no, but anyway you are information. Evidence, but, but okay <laughs> no no I'm saying that when I would sit in the store and I would you know, young people, young people, twelve to eighteen, you know, early twenties, guys that just in, joined the navy, um, so on and so forth. And they'd come into the store, and I and I'd say, well, you know, well, I can't afford a Gibson. It wasn't I don't like Gibson, or I don't want a Gibson, or I can It was always I can't afford that, or that's way outside of my price range, or that's something I could never get into. And so, there is still. A group of people who are looking to to find that point. I'm not saying I, that it's
1: huge numbers. I, I don't think. Well, that's my point. Is like I don't think that's a big enough target audience for them to uh, somehow capitalize on that.
0: Because they don't yeah, even they,
1: like they don't even think about the fact that their price bracket puts them out of the realm of affordability for people who are younger who might actually grow into buying the expensive stuff later. By using that that Epiphone label, that's a stigma. Like I know people, they don't want to say it. They don't want to say they don't want to say it. But it is a stigma. It's not Gibson, (sighs) and there are a ton of people that do that thing where they're like, "It's not a real Gibson. I'm not playing it." Yeah. Like, and I get it. I I, you know what? I get it. Like you don't want to have those conversations with people in the audience, and you don't want to have to answer to yourself because you're like. I really am not good enough
0: for a Gibson kind of conversation and that kind of thing. Yep, um, it's, it's always this. It's always this thing that you will never get past. It's like a GMC and a Chevy. Right. I mean, it's and not the same some thing. Some it is the same thing, but it's not the same thing because there's a different label on it. <laughs> that's that's absolutely you are one hundred percent correct on that. There is no doubt No doubt. I don't care if you're 12, 20, or 52. You look at that Epiphone as a lesser guitar. You know what's funny? Is I actually have... And and I
1: don't know whether it's a marketing thing that's caused this. But I have less of a gut reaction to owning a Squire than than owning an Epiphone. Like, I could buy a Squire and play it. But buying an Epiphone and playing it? I don't know. I mean... I, I would have a lot I, I would have I would ha, I would feel a lot more challenged to do that. And I yep. did have some of that stigma with PRS too. I don't have it anymore. Um, once I realized that most of the parts on my guitar are basically the same as what's an S, what's in an S E, it's kinda yep. like why the hell did I buy a S two then? It's like why does S two yeah. even exist? Um Yeah, that's kind of a weird market Right, right. position. So to me That's the weird thing. So just to to take it back for a second and talk about, like, when I was a kid and how all this worked. Like, the new metal crowd was very into Gibsons. Um, There was a lot of guys playing Les Paul. What do they call them? They were like a flat top Les Paul, but they were double humbuckers. Like, like I forget what they were called. Um, They weren't juniors. Maybe they were juniors. Pro juniors or something.
0: Yeah, I think Um, that... Junior Deluxe or Pro Junior or something like that where it's got two, it's the flat top, but it's yeah, got the two they
1: weren't studios. They were they were nope. a flat topless paw with a pair of like you know 85. Why don't they do that? Ones.
0: More? And why, why when they do it, do they put such a price tag on it? I saw uh I saw it um, on Trogli today. They had one that was a a junior, it was like four thousand dollars. Like, first of all, why? How? That's it's a set neck telly. Come on, get yourself if, in that. If Gibson
1: wanted to sell Les Pauls right now, just some some sort of Les Paul shape to get it in people's heads again, what they should do is do a Les Paul Junior, double P yep. nineties, yeah, uh, maybe even triple P nineties. Okay, with a pick guard. In light yep. co- in light colors, pastel, you know, kind of kind of car colors right. from the fifties, go toe to toe with Fender and say, hey, look, we know you like single coils, so we're giving you P90s, and we're giving you you know the Gibson quality that that you've come to expect. Maybe even put a feature or something in there that that would appeal to them, like a built-in tuner or something. Because I know, right. I know people like, yeah, it's so silly, yeah. but like something, some stupid feature and make it so you can take it out of the guitar too. So if you're an old person, you just
0: want the color, you take it out, right? You no big what? deal. In the And you know what? Here's in the who gives a shit what the old guy thinks right. category. Fuck it. Put the goddamn tuner right where you have it on acoustic. Put it. Mm-hmm. This one doesn't have one. I don't know why I'm pointing it to it. Put a fucking tuner in it. Right. And and uh, put it right where you would an acoustic right there on the bout. Put a tuner right there. You have now, a room. Now, I
1: will say some stuff that it's going to be pretty controversial because I think Gibson actually does care about this market. I don't think Gibson knows how to market to them. OK, that might be. Um, and, I'll, and I'll explain why, because because I think Gibson is sort of like they're looking at the situation and going, we can't compromise our core brand values. So what we're going to do is we're going to wait for the next Slash. Um yeah. hoping that that's going to happen. I'm not convinced that is going to happen. Okay? Because there isn't a like a heyday of guitars that are affordable for people to idolize. And actually quite frankly, that didn't exist when Slash picked up uh picked up the famous Les Paul that was used for for uh Appetite for Destruction, which is why he had somebody build him one. Um so just keep Great. that in mind
0: well, like he didn't. He didn't have it built. It was built, and his. Oh, I thought producer. he. Com- I thought he
1: commissioned it by the guy. I don't know. No,
0: somebody. It. Somebody got it from somebody that. In other words, it would, he kept like. No, I don't like that one. I don't like that one. I don't like that one. And they yeah. bought him in the Les Paul. Didn't tell him it was a fake. And he played it. He loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I guess he stole an amp that that was blown to him for the. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole lot of stories to go on with that. But it the now is, belongs to George Lynch. Yeah, I think so. Um, there's the, it, there's it, the Lynch connection. Yep. And and I think the big and important thing that you see in that uh, thing is if that he got that stuff given to him. Why? Because they had a recording contract. Mm-hmm. I saw the, the people that had the the um, money were yeah, throwing stuff at him. He didn't buy it. He didn't were, they,
1: that was the advance money from the recording company, uh, Geffen Records. When, when I
0: listened to Paul Stanley's book, this is the thing about Gibsons that's that's tough to to be a fan and be a lover of it and know these kinds of things. When I read Paul Stanley's book, they were playing shit, and then um, when they got a record, when they got the recording contract, they got the advance. That's when they got the nice guitars. And you read about that with a lot of these companies. Not everybody can be Tom Schultz, and your father is like a you know a, a, a genius and. Re- an engineer and you've got tons of money or like I, I saw this one kid I don't remember the punk man I, sh- I shared on my uh, Facebook page a while back but I was like rock still not dead and this kid his mother or his aunt is the woman that makes the, the straps uh, starts with a J but um, they're, they're very expensive straps um, and they're the only ones he uses and he wears nudie suits and he And he's got all kinds of expensive stuff. You know there's money in that family. Um, Not everybody has that money and not everybody has that ability. Um, Open letter to Gibson. Make a flat top, easy to construct, easy to sell. Like you said, pastel flat colors that that can be popularized. Two or three, one, two, and three pickup models of guitars and put the goddamn Gibson name on them and get them out there. And well, the the, the other thing is you can't just do that.
1: You have to focus on it. Like that's the problem that they have right now is that they're so focused on trying to clean up their image from what HJ has done that, I mean, literally they had, I don't have the pen sitting here. Do I? I think I do. They literally printed up pins saying, I support the new Gibson. Like, think yep. about that for a minute. They're admitting that the old Gibson sucked. Um, and so, like, they're so worried with that brand image shift that they forgot to realize, like, you guys are headed for disaster if you're not careful because right. you, your, your customer base is rapidly dwindling. And I'm not just well, talking you've got about it. money, but I'm just talking about,
0: like, once they're gone, they're gone. You know, you gotta or, wor- you gotta wonder if the investors give a rat's ass. Uh, the truth so of the matter is that I'm an investor. Wonder-
1: I mean, I, I'm first to admit it. I got money in there in the, in the holding company. Like, um, I know that. So the outlook is good, but I think it's one of those things where they've got they're bundled in a portfolio with like fifty other things. And so right. because of that, like, it doesn't really matter if Gibson does well
0: or not. It's whether the overall picture is doing well. That's right. And, th- and there's got to be that level of, like you said, focus. Get those things. Put them together. Make them good. Get them in the hands of young people. Not Joe Bottomassa. Don't, ca- don't care if Joe Bottomassa likes it. Don't right. care if Marcus King or Mark, whatever that guy's name is, if he likes it, he's the blues guy. He's gonna win, play a three three five. His grandfather was a Marcus a famous guy. And he played a. Uh, I don't give a shit. It's about It's not that. about
1: your heritage,
0: right? We, we stopped there, caring these, about.
1: I mean, they, they, they're still resting on the idea that what they did in 1957
0: is what's selling their guitars now. And I was excited about uh, the the new Thunderbird until I saw how much it is. It's twenty eight hundred dollars. Because Gene Simmons' name is on it, I mean, yeah, man. It, you know, I, I, it's just ridiculous to me to think that a $1, sixteen or nineteen hundred dollar guitar should be twenty eight hundred dollars, and oh,
1: or bass. I had the best answer for that in that in that thread too, because I because I said like I I just I, I have to toot my own horn because I was like i I'm, I'm incredibly proud of myself because I was like. You know, you guys think it's so great that Gene Simmons is this great businessman and whatever. I'm like, but, like, here he is putting his name on a guitar that basically only people with hugely disposable incomes can afford. And, you right. know, damn well, he ain't going to buy one because, like, right. he, he's either going to get him given to him or he's not going to use him at all because he's a tiny wad. I mean, he'd right. be using Japanese copies for, you know, for a thousand bucks if he could get if he could make it work. Um
0: yep. So. And then he'd sell you know, it for ten thousand. Yeah. The sh- it's a, it's show. a it's show played. With yeah. his Yeah. Uh, for a backstage pass. So those things, I mean, it's, it's gotta be done. and It's gotta be done. Right. If you want to, if Gibson wants to be seen in the future, if you know um, as that company, and if they don't, they don't. Mm -hmm. Um, The fact is that, that we're, we're, we're seeing that now Coachella is not the uh, Coachella, Coachella, whatever you say. Uh, Coachella is not the only thing that, that is a, is a barometer for the world of guitars, I'm just saying. Can we, that- can we switch to the next topic? This is a great segue.
1: Yeah, go ahead. All right. Uh, so Ready. I want I want to talk about the big four. To- and then this will be a perfect segue into Digitech. So yep. Um, we used to have the big three, right? Like we used to talk about Fender, Gibson, and PRS. PRS, yep. which which is kind of wild because PRS sort of came out of left field. Uh, you know, Fender Fender started in the '50s. Um, Gibson started Gibson started long before that but when they started introducing solid body guitars it was in the 50s and then uh, nothing happened, nothing changed there were other players, there was Tokai and all these Japanese brands and then there was you know, uh, Univox and Airline and and, you know, uh, Silvertone and all these different like mail order stuff, but realistically there were two brands for like long ass time And then the 80s hit and you had Kramer and you had Charvel and you had Jackson Jackson, and then you had Ibanez suddenly like came out of nowhere, which is really, you know, not out of nowhere. They were a bunch of brands in the 70s um, that were Japanese in origin. Um, But my point is, like, all of a sudden you had this changing landscape where all these competing companies were actually like starting to rival the big two because the big two had rested on their laurels. And in Fender's case, they'd gotten just so many shitty, like, deals handed to them over over time period. And the fact that CBS mismanaged the company so bad that they were basically a non-company. And at the same time, Gibson was literally having the same problems. They were mismanaged. They were um, poor quality because they were being mismanaged. And no one
0: was playing them until, like, 1990. can I make an obvious statement? Then you can go on. Mm-hmm. Obvious statement. Gibson, Bender. They're both names. They were both people's names. Yeah. Family names. What happened after after the families got out? Mismanaged. Yeah. yeah. I'm just saying, there's no there's no ownership and love when the Correct. only people that own it is, oh yeah, I've got twenty five dollars worth of stock in there. Go ahead. Yeah. I'm just just stating the obvious. You're right. You're right. So in the (laughs)
1: eighties, PRS starts making guitars out of his garage, really in the seventies. But, but in the eighties, that's when he started as a business as like 79 or something like that. And then, uh, like grew fast because he was doing custom work that nobody had ever seen before. And then all of a sudden, like was super desirable amongst a group of musicians that were, they liked the Gibson sound. They like the Gibson aesthetic, but they like some of the Fender playability and that kind of thing. And so, like, just suddenly sort of filled both niches for a lot of people. And by, like, the mid-90s, PRS was, like, booming. And by the time I became a guitar player in the early 2000s, like, PRS was... You walked into the guitar store, and what did you see? Fender, Gibson, PRS, and you did still see Ibanez... But like Ibanez was the metal guitar, right? Like that was what you right. bought if you were playing metal. And of course, there was ESP, LTD, and stuff like that. But those were a little bit more fringe brands even back then. Um, <laughs> yep.
0: So and Schecter was kind of coming of its own at yeah,
1: that point. Yeah, so, because Schecter had just gotten purchased by Guitar Center. So yep. That was during that. That was during a time period where they were owned by GC or had a had a major distribution deal through GC, and like GC was basically controlling them. Um, right. So, anyway. Now, so you're, so you're sitting there and you're like Gibson, Fender, PRS for a long time, for like yep. another, you know, 15 years. And I laugh because it's not actually true. So Gibson, Fender, and PRS had, uh, with Fender specifically, right? And then all of the other tertiary brands that were import lines were made by basically one company. And that was Samick throughout the 90s yep. okay really until the early 2000s um yep. i want to say samic world music industry you know it's like world music Instru- instruments where i think they were same company wmi yeah. um but korea right like that's basically if a guitar came out of korea it came from one of those two uh those two companies on the back end right and mm. so like yeah japan still was making guitars you had fuji gen and and stuff like over there over there but We weren't getting that stuff stateside. We don't get that stuff stateside now. Like, if you go to Japan, there's tons of guitars that never see the light of day because they are specific to the island of Japan. They have a collector's market there, and they make guitars for their market. And, like, even Fender Japan has, like, a whole line of guitars that never make it to U.S. shores. Um, That's right. So, anyway, point, point aside. So... You got three companies, and then you actually had a fourth. You had Samick for a while, and Samick got replaced by Court. Court. Um, and Court, if I recall, had facilities in Korea at first. It was yep. And then was it Korea? Was it Korea or was it somewhere else? Vietnam. I know it ended up in. I know it ended up in Indonesia. Yeah. Um. And that's why. So then they became Core Tech. When they built the new facility, right. they they kind of rebranded as cortec And Cortek was the most advanced guitar production facility on the planet. And it was paid for by such brands as yep. Ibanez. It was Fender. It was
0: sold South
1: Yeah, so so they moved from South Korea, but because manufacturing was getting expensive, um, labor was getting expensive, they they took and built a state-of-the-art facility, probably better than what anybody, maybe except for Bob Taylor, has in the United States, for yep. mass-producing guitars in Indonesia. They trained yep. people. It is the most high-tech guitar facility on the planet. And they churn out pretty much anything from Indonesia. Not not pretty much. Literally every guitar from Indonesia is coming from Cortec. Um, to the point where... I mean, Cort is really basically just Fender and like I, the, the Court brand is literally just like an amalgamation of everything else they make Um and so we don't think of them this way right as right. being a guitar company but I'm here to argue and this is why this segment is called the big four is that Cortek today is currently number four okay it is PRS Fender, Gibson
0: and Cortech. Doesn't Cortec, am I wrong? I thought Cortec made the SE models. They do.
1: Okay. They do now. Uh, The uh, WMI did. And my understanding was that Paul worked with WMI to make some custom tooling, some very expensive custom tooling, uh, and that WMI was supposed to be exclusive for PRS, and then they sort of started using some of that tooling to make guitars for other people. And uh, so PRS kindly said, Get, you know, get wrecked yep. and moved over to, um, uh, moved over to, uh, uh, in, uh, Core tech There was a time period where all the European distribution came out of WMI. I think it was one year and everything else was coming from Cortex. And now everything is over at Cortex now. So, gotcha. um, there That's was, I thought. which is weird because there was like a time period where Europe actually had different specs because yep. they just, everything else came out of Cortex. Um, so, um, now, here's the interesting part, right? It's so, like Gibson has a pedal line now. Fender has a pedal line. PRS doesn't, but but PRS does have an amplifier line, which get which Gibson doesn't, right? not currently it's it's coming right. summer NAM, sure summer nam is in a few weeks i expect a big yeah. announcement um, i expect to hear about the gibson amps anytime now. yeah yeah um and so and then the other company of course like fender they have both amps because they were an amp company first they have both amps and they have uh pedals now um and it's funny because the pedal lines are new for both of these companies even though they built pedals in the past like they didn't have them for a while um and the reason why I'm pointing this out is because they they also manufacture accessories. Um, Fender and Gibson have sort of crossed over into being lifestyle brands. PRS a yep. little bit, but not nearly as much as Fender and Gibson. Like you can buy PRS t shirts and mugs and um, keychains and that kind of stuff, but you're not gonna be going in or maybe even shot glasses and that kind of thing. But you're not gonna be able to go oh, to yeah. PRS and buy a buy a jukebox. Um, right, right. Or dog or, leech- or dog leashes cooler for your. I mean, Did, OK, you got to have a refrigerator. <laughs> I didn't. I wanted to make this a topic, but but I didn't. I think we can talk about it like two or three minutes. Did anybody see the new Fender lifestyle shit?
0: Oh, I mean, Tim, I know
1: I sent you that.
0: Yeah. What the hell? Was so crazy. they
1: signed a deal with Wrangler Wrangler jeans. And if you go look at the stuff like the clothing they're selling right now, it, the aesthetic is like, what the hell? And, and it's even better because it like the models they have wearing it are like totally people would never wear that
0: stuff it's almost like they're saying hey hey Gibson you got the guy from Levi's at your, your thing exactly how come you don't have Gibson? Gene and it was a you big Yeah, it's right on the front by the way if you go to Fender's site you don't have to search it's, it's literally the first thing yeah. you see Pioneer Music for, and Denim for 75 years first of all whoever thought fender guitar i would think levi's
1: would want to sign a deal with fender to be quite
0: frank they seem more iconic right right Um, wrangler is kind of i gotta be honest with you it it almost fits because wrangler is kind of the lesser brand wrangler's the the poor man's levi's well yeah no so the funny part is
1: that, that levi's are not made in the states anymore wrangler is no which yeah, is which is funny. Wild, right? Cuz like yep. everybody sees Wrangler as the lesser brand, but from what I've heard, their quality is like 100% better than Levi
0: And I, I wear I, I, I wear say, Levi's a lot of the time, um but Yeah. it's I bought Levi's since they left the states. That mm-hmm. now that that's true. I used to buy Levi's 80s, 90s. I think it was early 2000s when they left the states. Um and I saw Made China or something on there and I went yeah, yeah, made I'm in no. Vietnam or something like that now. Um, yeah, I, I, not that I, I'm above wearing made in China clothes. But I've got a... But, but, but you're paying the like, same price.
1: Yeah, this is a Wrangler shirt. But, you, but but Jim, you're paying the same price for clothing made in a foreign country by people
0: probably in sweatshops. dollars for a pair of jeans made by, you know, somebody. In a sweatshop. I mean, that's yeah, kind of uh, messed up. So, now, don't get me wrong. First of all, I love Fender's the clothing stuff that Fender does, done right, Oh, don't you literally want, done You right. want that fringe jacket, Jim? No,
1: I'm not, want but I'm not going fringe to spend. Fringe How much is the
0: fringe jacket? Oh, every, All of their clothing items are really expensive. The t-shirts are like fifty bucks. Yep, hundred eighty-nine dollars for the for the jacket, the fringe jacket that yeah, he's talking I was like, about. Um, what and that's the woman's. I don't know if the men's is uh, is more. Okay, who wears um, a fringe? Unless
1: you're riding a motorcycle like you know nine days a week, uh, you're not wearing a fringe
0: jacket. Let's just get real for a minute. Um yep. So I know because I have one, and I, it was from when I was wearing mo- riding a motorcycle. No, but I'm, I'm just telling you.
1: Like if you look at the if the what they're selling, it doesn't match the aesthetic of their brand at all.
0: No, no. Um, it it literally says. High price, you know, yeah, sitting in Starbucks having coffee type stuff. It does not say to me, right? It's oh, just this doesn't, is it's not a good lifestyle product
1: for them, okay? No. um, no. so and then the other thing is like they have like leashes and dog collars, yep. and I'm like, really? I mean, come on, um, for one thing, you're gonna get sued out your ass if somebody hurts their dog walking, you know, cause like that's a whole thing now, uh, you know, dogs are family members. Like you better be damn sure you, you are licensed in an authority on being able to do that,
0: uh, and doing yep. it correctly. Uh, I'm looking at it getting a miniature miniature dachshund, by the way. Oh, yeah. I am. I cannot, I'm looking at this, the, you know, the new lifestyle, uh, stuff. And I'm like, you are kidding me. Um, a turntable yeah i guess that kind of makes sense those mofi turntables are like 10 like they're like a thousand dollars a piece legos more legos okay it's just the same lego
1: right 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 so um, so gibson does not immune from doing stuff like this either but like gibson doesn't have a deal with levi's you no. know what i mean like you would think they would try to equal
0: one out um well, I mean didn't didn't uh J C come from Levi? Yeah, he was, no, he, Levi that was That's why I
1: said When
0: you think um, that he would go yeah. and try to like
1: um I don't know. It's just a whole thing and like I just think it's funny that these that these lifestyle things exist. But but notice Cortec can't do that, right? Because they don't have they don't have brand recognition to do that. However, I will point something out. There is another company that used to make copies for of everybody else's guitars and actually ended up starting to make guitars for some of these companies. Cause there was a time when Hoshino Gaki, Fujigen was doing guitars for Fender specifically for Fender. Um, and it got, that ended up getting taken over by somebody else. They got the official license and they were importing those guitars in the United States. So for several years, the only Fenders sold here were made in Japan. Um, and that whole like changeover, uh, we're talking about core tech, right? I mean, Cortech could be the next Ibanez. Like, I don't think people sort of see it that way because right now they're the imitator. But if Cortech establishes a brand and it isn't going to be court, let's let's just be real for a minute. It's that's not right. going it to be court. Be. Um, they could potentially shift the market in their favor. And those co- contracts with Squire and the other companies aren't that important to them right now. That's a massive amount of cash for them. Um, that is basically yep. sustaining them. And I think they like the idea that they don't have to do the marketing. But I do have evidence that that might change. Um, and that's that'll be covered in the next segment. But um, I I don't know what that means for the industry, right? If like Cortec is really interested in becoming the next part of the, the big three, um, first off, they're gonna have to crush Ibanez. Because Ibanez is probably still hot on their tail, despite the fact that Ibanez, because that AZ line has been so big and they've gotten so many names to 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 support the AZ line. Like when I was a kid, they did have artists, right? But it was their artist repertoire was not anything like what it is today, where you go on their site and there's like 25 artists listed at the bottom of every page. And you're like, yeah. you're like, there are that many Ibanez artists, you know? And then there's like 14 signature model guitars being made at every, you know, every time at all times and you're just going whoa you know they're they're obviously still trying to grow they're still trying to hold on to the industry tooth and nail because there was a time period when Ibanez was probably out selling fender it wouldn't shock me maybe like around new metal era um so there so i can remember when i was just starting out guitar just to share an anecdote uh, a classmate of mine I was in high school and there was a classmate sat behind me and he always had guitar magazines. And so like, I was interested in starting. I was like, what guitar would you recommend me to buy first? And he says, um, he said, he said, don't buy a Squire. He said, buy an Ibanez. And I said, well, what's wrong with Squire? And he goes, uh, he says, well, he's like, there's nothing really wrong with Squire, but Ibanez makes better stuff. Uh, and so I was like, oh. And so I kind of, I kind of always kept that in the back of my head. Was it like, Ibanez's entry-level stuff was probably better than Squire at that time. Uh, I think that's probably shifted now. But the react because they're and frankly, they're both made by the same damn people. So, I, so they were probably made by the same people then. Um, it makes it interesting to think about how the industry has shifted. Now, I will point out one thing, which is that Samick tried to do this. Samick is a piano company. Like, let's just, let's just put right, that right. out there.
0: They, they, they made all kinds of music, musical instruments,
1: of but they were making pianos that was their predominant seller. Um, they, were, I don't think their pianos were super popular in the States, but they nope. they sold other musical instruments in the States and did really well, like organs. And I think uh, they sold a lot of like band instruments, um, special, specifically like education market type items. So um, – Samick tried to do this and they had the Greg Bennett line of guitars before that they had the Samick line of guitars, which is more like court, right? Yep. Then they had Greg Bennett and Greg yep. Bennett was this like, um, if I recall, they, they built him as being like a designer of popular guitars for like various other companies. And like, he had come to Samick to create a line of guitars for them. That was very forward thinking. Do you remember the Greg yep. Bennett line at all? Cause I do.
0: Yeah. Early 2000s. God, they were ugly.
1: They were all ugly. They they had the wrong appointments in most of them. And it was like just a huge miss. It was like it was like um, throwing rocks through a chain link fence. Okay. And I'm sure they played good. But it was like, guys, you know, you should probably look at your competitors. And they weren't interested in doing that. Okay. And so Greg, the Greg Bennett line died fast. Um, yep. And so did Samick. Uh, it was almost as though, like, they were tied in together and suddenly both of those companies sort of started to dry up, despite the fact they were still producing guitars for other companies. Um, this was yep. around the time that ESP-LTD, like, took off because everybody was aware that they were being made in Korea. They had their own production facility and had their own, like, rules and regulations and was being governed separately and was doing their own thing right and um people like those they still like those guitars i mean um even now the esp stuff that was started back then is still pretty popular um so if it failed for them how is Cortec going to do this differently i don't i think i already printed it out really... but we're going to go into the next go ahead we're, we're going to go into the yeah. next topic
0: after your retort and then i think it'll be okay. pretty clear This is something I see Cortec. If they're going to do anything smart, right? Which you would think they would do things smartly. If I was Cortec, I'd just do what I'm doing. They're selling a lot of guitars by selling them with other brands stuck on the headstock. And then they've got their own brand. Their own brand quietly sits under here. But they still make a lot of sales over here. And pretty much, they probably charge the same amount of money. You know, they just you know, Paul Reed Smith adds a little bit extra on there and it's sold for a little more money. So I don't think Cortex is going to make any changes on that front. I do. I think, I think they're going to keep their guitars going um, as they are court.
1: I look, <laughs> I look for, this is my, this is my 10 year for court. Okay. True. Sure. Cortex is the advanced manufacturing facility. Now I can almost guarantee you, that within the next 10 years, China is going to start spinning up a facility that probably rivals Cortec, if not is more advanced. Um, and will be taking contracts from companies like Epiphone and because they already have Epiphone in China.
0: Yep, um, they've already got and it. I, I
1: suspect that, that you'll see PRS being made there as well. And also Fender and other companies. Now PRS will hold out as long as they can because they will want to resist the stigma of being, uh, we're in China yep. now. Because um, they had the same problem, like they kept they stayed in Korea despite the fact that if they'd gone to Cortac, they probably would have saved more money and increased the quality. Um, so it was a whole other thing. I would say right now, Indonesian guitars are superior to what Korea was doing ten years ago. That's how good they've gotten because of the because of the new facility and the way it's all being run. However, that's at the mercy of your contract with them. So if you're not paying with for good quality control, you're not going to get it. Okay. Yep. Um, so it's reflected in price. Like it's the same thing we've always said, like a five hundred dollar guitar is not going to be as good as a thousand dollar guitar, it doesn't matter whose name is on the label. Um, right. it's just they're they're selling it at a cost, and that cost is associated with and generally there's not a huge premium unless you're one of the big four on the on the name, right? Um well in this case it'd be one of the big three because court obviously doesn't get that premium. So um I'm going to hit the next topic button because we're going to just get right into it. I think Cortex 10 year strategy involves acquiring other companies, specifically companies where they can wear their brand label like a skin. Okay, so they would rather just say we're not we're not court anymore. We're and I'll just throw a name out there. We're we're Strandberg. Um, and and right. I and and I I'm not saying they're gonna acquire Strandberg, but that would be a good acquisition for them, because they're making all the Strandbergs anyway, so it would make sense if they were to be like, you know what, hey, I think it's Uli Stranberg, right? Is the guy? I think it's Uli Stra- Stranberg. Right? It's right. that, I it's Uli Strandberg. Um, I, if I'm wrong, correct me in the comments below. Uh, you know, I, let's make him an offer he can't refuse. We'll buy your business from you. We'll buy your patent, we'll license your patent, and we'll bring you on as a designer and pay you X amount of dollars per year for your company for the next 10 years if we get to take control of it. Basically, we own it. And I think people like Uli Strandberg would be like, dependent upon the amount of money that are offered, be like, yeah, I mean, you're already making all the guitars anyway. Like, sure, and then I get to to stay doing the engineering side, and you know, it's like, yeah, absolutely. They would definitely take that deal, and then that means they can distribute it. And in fact, Cortech can actually can actually go to Ubi and say, you know what, we got to hit a lower price point. Design me a guitar that's cheap, and you know, set the let we'll set the quality guy. And 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 because it's an internal contract now. There's not all this overhead. They can afford to drop the price on this stuff, get it out the door at a higher quality level than their than the competitors. They're already competing with and Fender. And here's the thing. they This could never have happened with Samick was doing it because Samick, there were other companies competing with Samick. Cortec doesn't have competition. Like I want to make that very, very clear to everyone. Sam, Samick had, you know, WMI and stuff like that. And they had the, the ESP guys that were building for them. And of course, Epiphone was still in China. Like where's Fender and Squire going to go? Right. Where are they going to go? They don't have a choice. They, right. I mean, so Cortek could say, yeah, we're going to make Strandberg, we're going to make Strandberg more popular than your guitars. We're going to make them at a lower price and we're going to beat you as a competitor. And Fender just has to sit there and go, okay, what choice do we have? Um, in fact, since it's an international agreement, there may not even be any legal recourse for them getting screwed. Um, so that's a whole other conversation. I don't think Cortex wants to create ill will like that. I think they would look for a band like St- Strandberg that doesn't have the crossover potential for their big contracts. Um, I mean, who are they? Who would they be competing with? Like Strandberg is kind of its own thing. It wouldn't be like buying, um, you know, it wouldn't be like buying. Uh, I'm trying to think of somebody who, would, who makes like Squire like guitars and uh, buying GNL. Right, I don't think it could do that anyway. But like, if they were to buy GNL, and they're were like, we're going to pump out, you know, basically Stratalikes using the GNL proprietary parts, and we're going to charge ten percent less than the Squires, and give them higher quality because we can do that. Um, you know what I mean? Like, that would be a dangerous thing. But there is evidence to support that they may already be starting to think in this direction, because they acquired a company. They bought Digitech. Digitech has been on the market since 2017. And when we did the episode last week talking about the demise of Digitech, we had no idea who had actually stepped up to purchase them. Jim and I had talked on the side and assumed it would be Gibson. And it's not Gibson. It's CoreTech. CoreTech. They announced it yesterday, um, 4-23, so April 23rd. Um, yep. it was, it was, uh, announced by Cortek that they had, that the decision had been made for Cortek to purchase Digitech Effective immediately. Um, so it's not really clear. I think personally, I think that's why all this stuff started shipping again was because that deal was made last week and Cortek already issued the order. Just go ahead and ship everything. They probably wanted to do a big official announcement and it was taking too long and it was, and it had leaked and so by that point, it was like, well, we'll just tell people we did it, and then we'll have the big official thing at NAMM, because that's probably where it's going to be, where it's going to be unveiled, like what they're going to do with the company, right? Because it's not really clear at this point. They said they, have, they, they look forward to having a long partnership with a with a, uh, a successful line of products that are highly thought of and legendary in the industry, um, which you can read that to mean the Whammy is still going to exist. It may be a Whammy 6. They may, they may revamp products. Uh, You will probably see reissues of DOD stuff. Um, It's good news, right? Because they're not going to be overly expensive. Cord is not in the business of um, designing products that are super expensive. And uh, it gives a beloved brand new life. um, And it gets them out from under Samsung. And I actually hope that that Cortec is smart enough to go back and get some of the designers that were let go in 2017. Um, because when that happened, they had some of the best products they'd ever built. They were going through a renaissance and Samsung came in and said, get the hell out. It didn't make sense. It was like, that's why everybody kind of reacted like this is madness, um, because it was so Cortec buying Digitech, Digitech surviving, right? Um, and in the, in the face of these comments, like we're talking about, uh, the big four, I think this is CoreTech starting to look at how can we start to infringe upon uh, the people we're building for by,
0: but not infringe upon the people we're building for, you know exactly what I mean? Exactly right. Yep. And that's, that's where they have to, they have to tread lightly because if they step too hard on toes, they're going to do what Sam wound up doing is cutting off their nose to spite their face. I don't think anybody's going to look at a
1: Digitech acquisition from Cortec as, like, a shot across their bow. No. no. But they have to play their cards very close. And I and I would not be surprised if they don't buy a Little Fish guitar company next. And if they don't buy... Or, or maybe they get into an accessory company like Monocase. Like, they buy somebody that, you know, that has attachments to the South Pacific, which is where their base of operations has been. Where they yep. can... They can start to produce a product that, you know, is another niche product for the industry that uh, diversifies their portfolio. I also think this is a long-term strategy for Cortec to survive um, guitar manufacturing shifting to China. I think they realize their days are numbered. Uh, I think they realized when they opened Cortec with all the new production facility equipment and all the things that they put into that to make it work. I think they realized they had a 10-year lifespan. Um, they've gotten 12, I think, uh, 12 or 13. So uh, I sort of suspect that they they are sort of kind of anxiously waiting to see what China does in the next five years and that they are hedging their bets. And they realize that, you know, we can't compete with, with Chinese labor costs and, and efficiency right now. Um, and ultimately, China won't be able to compete with some other third world country eventually. I mean, it's just a matter of time, right? Um, but... The, well-
0: yeah, I think I think that if they're able to hold on long enough, Indonesia is still probably a good bet in the long, long term. It's just that China's willing to do a lot of stuff to subsidize to bring, um, and this is known. They'll subsidize the company to make it more pro- um, uh, to to undercut long enough. That's what Walmart did when they when they first came out. You'll notice Walmart's no better than Target's no better than anybody else, right? But when you first got a Walmart and you're, oh, wow, well, look at that. The prices are better. The prices are better. Of course. And that's part of their long-term growth
1: strategy was to was to run other right. companies out of business. so that Run they, them into the dirt. Yeah. And I, then, you, they have no ability to compete at all. Well, that's what we were... Because they can't get
0: product. Because they can
1: the, the socio-economic implication of this is if China takes it on, they have a ticking time bomb, too, because at some point China. they have to raise prices because the education level in China is going up, which means That's that right. eventually people are going to be saying, hey, I'm worth more than that. And right. uh,
0: China has to be very, very careful about that because they're communist. Um, and I have so- to, I'll have to i ask you a dumb question real quick. So this is a fact question. You don't have to answer it if you don't want to. But how much did you pay for your, your whammy that you've got? Yeah. Uh, $220 shipped. Shipped. 220 Right now, if you want to get one from Sweetwater, and it's $270. uh huh And and tax. Now, I got my drop pedal, 140 something shipped. They are right now $239. Mm-hmm. And that's the retail
1: price, by the way. So, Lord. we figure... And I still think this is true, that Gear for Music in the UK bought the last lot of yep. what they thought were the last lot of Digitech stuff and then offered yep. it at discounted prices thinking they were going belly up. Um, being allowed to do that because Digitech will not, they're not going to pursue any pricing agreement if, they're going, if right. they're going out of business. And they may have even gotten express permission to do so. And yep. at the end of the day, guess what happened? They're not going yeah. out of business, but that agreement is probably still null and void. Yep,
0: because those those didn't come from right. Digitech. They, came, they from came from they came Harman from Harman. Carton. So, and so you're looking at uh, is it Harman Carton? It's Harman. Just just Harman. It's just Harman now. Okay. Um, so you figure that's a that's an agreement they had with Harman. Harman doesn't care. Um, so, uh, um, they're they're able to keep those out. So if again, if you're looking for one of these. I still go for Gear for Music. Yeah, um, for sure. They haven't, they haven't
1: jacked their prices yet. They yet. haven't even. They haven't even. I mean, the prices are discounted from what they were. They're they're yeah. fifty dollars less than what they <laughs> normally were. Yep. Um. So yeah, I mean, if you if you're looking for a deal right now, head over to yep. Gear for Music and just buy whatever Digitech products that you can get at discounted prices, and be yeah. happy that you can get them at that price. You know what is right. really cool? Because because we talked about um, we had that episode. I think it was about six months ago when we were talking about proprietary, uh, the proprietary nature of a lot of the digital communication protocols. Mm-hmm. Um, I look for there to be another trio with the built-in mm-hmm. looper, and I yep. look for them to put an actual MIDI. And I think that they'll have the lo- that you'll see the Jam Man line come back this time with actual yep. MIDI, and. Yeah. I have a jam, man. <laughs> it'll be really, really cool when we see those products come back. I also think they're going to take the engine out of the whammy. I think it's very likely we're going to see an intelligent harmonizer.
0: Right. Um, right. Using
1: the whammy's uh, ability to shift pitches. Yep. Um, now, it's been said that even the even the current whammy was developed by a third party. So I don't know if that's true or not. Yeah, I, that's I, a good question. I have a hard time believing that given the folly that they can't reissue the WH-1. And um, but, you know, that company was kind of mismanaged for a really long time before uh, before the renaissance. So it wouldn't shock me. Um, But even like even uh, Josh Scott was doing he did. He did. uh, JHS did their video about, you know, the greatest Digitech pedal you didn't even know about.
0: Right,
1: right, right. So so this was being felt in the pedal world. Like it was the people like, damn, like this is a big damn deal because it'd be like MXR going under. Right. Um, Yeah. Because they were that big for that long, so I, um, I'm very very happy to hear that they got acquired. I hope that they either have some level of autonomy or that that Core Tech is a good shepherd of the brand, which I think is probably yep. going to be the case, just because they seem to understand the industry pretty well. Like, they from a business perspective and how they, um, how they've worked, like they've they've done a really good job of working with other brands and not pissing each other off. Because you don't get yeah. the sense that like G and L is mad that Squire is made a cortex even though they're both made there. You know, tributes are made there, and Squires are made there. So like, I think that's a really interesting situation. Uh, could you imagine like if if um, and I'm trying to think of a I'm trying to think of a similar situation. What if Ford and GM were not actually built by Ford and GM, but they were built by company Y? and company-wide built built both vehicles in the same facility. Okay. Um, could you imagine the kind of pissing match that would be going on right now with the supply shortages and stuff? Like yeah. about who gets what? Uh, it would just be a nightmare. And Cortec manages to navigate all that. So yep. they obviously understand brand relations very well, and they obviously understand how to build quality products because you don't hear about you know the failure rate anymore it used to be that you would Bam. hear hear like you know two out of every 10 guitars coming out of whatever country were getting rejected um by the dealer um which you don't hear about that anymore i do know that i've seen core tech guitars locally get rejected um i can't put a number on how many out of how many but it happens right like they come out of the box and they have orange peel there's stuff that happens in shipping um in some cases, there are quality control issues that should have been caught at the factory. They just make it through. But realistically, the failure rates are really low compared to what they used to be. Um, yep. So, you know, it's just uh, I'm not mad that Digitech has been purchased by Cortec. I'm not not—I'm nope. not upset in the least. I'm, I'm happy to see the brand continue. Um, it doesn't make any difference to me where it's produced or who's like actually making it. Because let's face it, like, how many people do we all know that are running Moor pedals on their board? Or they're running yeah. um, Joyo or, you know, any of the other Chinese brands? Um yeah. This is going to be no different than that, except I suspect it will probably still be engineered here in the States by, and it would not shock me if it's not done by the people that used to run DoD Digitech.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, Anyway, so let's, let's, are you ready to go over the gig report or do you want to, you got more to say? Yeah, yeah, I'm ready. All right. You have a big gig report. I know you do because you've been talking about it all episode. So I want to hear your gig report. I, this is really
0: important to me, Jim. So let's go. Yeah. So, um, we had a, we had a two day gig, uh, Friday, Saturday. Um, I had to take day off because it wasn't local. It was two hours away and it was noon. (laughs) So both days it was noon to two um, outdoors in um, uh, North Carolina. I'm sorry, sorry, um, laundry it, issues. It was, that's okay. That's all right. Yep. Um, so it was in North Carolina, in the Outer Banks, down by Kitty Hawk. So um, so we went there. It was a. It was um, for a children's. Um, uh, thing where you know charity, um, so we weren't paid big. Uh, kind of, kind of got your gas money and uh, a couple people stayed in a hotel and um, we've got a big trailer. I mean, <laughs> um, so unlike the other bands who came and if they were loud enough, they were loud enough. If not, you know, screw you. So I got to play. I I took the Marshall. Um, I fed the PA via the, um, torpedo. Yeah. Captain. sounded great, but I took the Marshall and I was able to crank it. that that's as loud as that Marshall's been for two hours at a time ever since I fucked it. Um, 80 degrees, hot, not a wisp of cloud in the sky. I'll send you pictures. Um, and uh beautiful though um a light breeze coming off the ocean um if anybody's familiar with that area um you've you've got a strip of land that's like out into the ocean but there's also ocean inland so it's like a big huge almost bay but it's not and so this it, it's always destroyed every now and again by um hurricanes go right through. Um, it's like okay we flattened that we gotta rebuild um uh, so anyway the ply the plywood business is, is abundant there um at least twice a year so um it was it was really nice it was really fun bikers because um, it was a it was a motorcycle club thing um christian motorcycle clubs um and so, my co-guitar player had his Les Pauls, I had my Les Paul, and my Strat. So, here's here's what I found out live. You can't mix the two. It's just not fun. I needed, I didn't put a boost pedal in front for the Strat. And because it was using the Marshall, I had to use the two master volumes uh, I have the CR40. It's got two master volumes. Right, right. I'd have one set for the Strat, one set for the for the Les Paul because it was completely different. Um, my uh, I had the Digitech drop um, that I had added into the into the mix, and I did that. I mean, that was the first day I was really using it for any length of time outside of rehearsal. Worked great, um, and uh, we we played, um, you know, the. The area that we looked at was maybe seven or eight acres. So really big area um, as far as the, um, uh, the the little. And then it was like 100 acres beyond that. It was all flat. And so you had nothing to bring your sound back to you. It was just you projecting that sound out. Um, and uh, you had street noise past the the several acres we were at. Right. Um a few hundred bikes um and there were cars and you know vendors and everything else so and we were by a trailer park. It was funny because it was like it was like a empty area behind us and a trailer park of, off to the side um so and I always called that I, I texted um uh someone and i said uh so there's there's uh hurricane food over here that's what Hurricanes like to eat trailers Um, and then there's, you know, uh, the other stuff. So but it was fun and it was exciting. Um, uh, I we wore black because that's what we had. (laughs) Let me give you some advice. So I had sunblock 50 on. I'm actually sunburned. You can't the lighting doesn't show, but I'm burned. Yeah, I
1: can tell you're you're a little red and pink in certain places. Yeah,
0: through the face. Uh, but it was it was so much fun if I turned off the lighting you, you'd see it more um and uh so uh anyway but I did bring the you know i was I was smart I brought my sunblock. I brought water um and uh stay hydrated uh, i brought I drank sixty ounces of water on the way down so let's just say that I'm glad that there were nice clean porta potties there available um <laughs> Uh, I made it through the gig. Um, and then uh, it was it was a lot of fun. They fed us. Um, they gave us water. It was really nice of them. Uh, I can't commend them enough. But uh, musically, the Les Paul just sings. It, that open air. Every, I can tell everything it, at that volume just sings, though. I'm just saying, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was the, the the Strat sounded great. I love Strat's, but it was my number one last Paul, the one that's not hanging up that's the empty hook there she's in uh he's in the um the house and it's got uh the, the badge on there that i put on it uh, not on the guitar on the i put a sticker uh my first tour sticker i suppose on it uh for that um, thing and anyway on the on the case and uh the the guitar really showed me why it was my number one it just was what it did for me everything else but i can tell you my feet hurt my legs (laughs) yeah (laughs) because you're not used to being standing out there 80 degrees i was wireless was running around i'm a very uh you know not standing in one place kind of musician and uh also i'm surprised i've been talking this long because i gotta be honest with you i so I sing all the high harmonies and I sing any of the high vocals that, that come along. And so if there's a high part um, that, that's in a song, I sing the high part. Um, the, the, the other singer, his voice comes down, I come in. <laughs> I'm like the auto-tune. And then I sing my part then he takes back <laughs> There's one song in particular It's fun because uh, we do um, My Own Worst Enemy, okay. you know, a song by Lit. And um, so... He's singing the, you know, I, uh, you know, kick myself in the ass or whatever. I don't even know the words, to be honest with you. See, but then I are. go, um, tell me why. Mm-hmm. You know, I come in for that. And I sing all that high stuff. Mm-hmm. And then he come back in. <laughs> and you're, and then he goes, gone, gone. It's, all that. it's It's fun. And it was a lot of fun. And it. And it um, uh, I think the most important thing that I took from it was, I was prepared. Preparedness, preparedness, preparedness. I got there. I had um, I had my uh, torpedo, but I also had a microphone. Another guitar player forgot his microphone, day one. Second day, he brought his mic, forgot his mic stand. I had both of those things. That's two hour ride down, two hour ride home. You're not running back to get it. Um, I overdid everything, and luckily I never broke a string. I didn't dehydrate. Um I felt good. I ate very lightly and I ate uh, fresh fruits and vegetables um to stay You really you uh, really have to watch your nutrition on gigs like that cuz yeah. you
1: can you can eat the wrong things and feel like garbage on stage yeah. and it's I, it's awful. <laughs>
0: Yeah, the last thing you want to do is have to, you know...
1: Yeah, don't eat a cheeseburger right before you go onto yeah. a stage that's like 85 degrees out and, like, humid, you know? I, yeah. I, don't ask me how I know, because I can tell you that story,
0: and it was not fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, I did not go to Taco Bell. Um, so, lots of fun. I, I recommend uh, uh, that kind of thing for, you know, if, you're, if your band is going to do it. Um, and uh, it... it, it felt uh, it felt fulfilling. But the one thing I wished I had, and that's why I got the guitar, the acoustic, was I wished I had an acoustic. Because I kind of tried to use the Strat for acoustic sounds. And it was okay, and it filled in. But it was not an acoustic, and it didn't have the same feel. So, I'll just say that.
1: So I'm not going to show the picture. Maybe we'll flash it on screen. Um, I don't really have much of a gig report this week. But I do have stuff to share. Um, I am... I was going to go to open jam this week. Um, I felt really guilty because I have not been able to get any recording done for the project I'm working on. Um, I'm actually also feeling really guilty because I didn't get the episode out last week, but it'll be out tomorrow. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's like. (sighs) I took the I took the night off, right? And I sat and I recorded and I did like 32 takes of rhythm for this song. And um, I'm doing punch-ins and stuff, too. So it's, like, not that big a deal. But I thought I'd start with a really good take first and then do punch-ins on that. Right. And by the time, because I just kept getting interrupted, by the time I got done, like, I was sitting there with 32 takes. And I was like, I'll come back tomorrow and I'll work on it. And um, I didn't come back to the next day. I came back on Sunday, which is two days later. I had a rehearsal on Saturday. She ran through all the tunes. Realized that you know we really need to get these things committed to recording because then we can then we can rehearse them better and we have a better idea of what's going on, um, instead of you know kind of feeling out some of the arrangements and stuff, um, and had a big discussion about business plan and name which hasn't been cemented yet but we have some we're getting closer, um, and kind of sat down and like. One of the things that was told to me and I, and, and I share this with, you know, good faith from, from uh, my, my songwriting partner, Tony, um, that, that this is cool. So I'm just assuming it is, but it, you know, we were talking about business side and he was like, well, you know, we can take, we can go and we can have somebody else mix this stuff. Now, originally I was going to mix it. And because I spent so much time on this project already um, and done all these like rough mixes and stuff to, to get through the recording process. I'm starting to realize I'm way too attached to, to this at this point to make good decisions about what things should sound right. like. And so we are going to farm this out. And at first I was like all excited about it. Cause I'm like, okay, we'll just pay somebody to do it. It takes it all out of my lap. But then today I was thinking about it and I started, as I was starting to record and I was like, well, What do we give the the mix engineer? Do I give him dry guitar tracks? Do I give him DIs with no effects on them whatsoever? And assume that he'll do a good job with my guitar sound? And I started having a mild panic attack because I'm sitting there going like, that's the only thing I have control over. Like in in all reality. Like, when I play as a player, I can't tell the drummer how his drums sound. I cannot tell the bass player how his bass sounds. And I'm sure shit not going to tell the vocalist these things like crap or whatever. But, I, but like, I do have control over, wow, there's too much mids here. Or, wow, there's right. too much bass here. Right? And I can adjust that. But when I put that into other somebody else's hands, I need to be able to give them complete faith that they're going to do a good job. And that is the scariest thing I have ever gone through as a musician. Because that is my voice, right? That's like, I can imagine an actor in a Japanese film coming to the United States and then getting overdubbed, how they feel about the people they hire to overdub them. Um, (laughs) Sorry. Um, And I just, I think about that and I'm like, am I prepared to do this? Yeah. Now, Tony has a couple of contacts um, for recording studios in the area. One of them we use to to do um, rehearsals and then another that we do um, or another that he's done work with. And I think, I think there's actually two he's done work with locally. One of them does done national work. So people for international work actually artists from overseas and stuff. Um, yep. And we're leaning towards that. But I told him, I said, this is all contingent on me being able to have a conversation with them so that I can relay what I'm looking for. Because for me, like I need to have confidence that you're going to treat what I do in a specific way. And I want to see what he's got in his studio for doing the guitar sounds. If I walk in and he's, he's going to run my guitar through a black heart. I'm going to be like, dude, come on. You're fucking kidding me. Right? Like no offense, but I know what that amp sounds like. And I don't care how well, you know, that amp. I've got three at home that will outdo that amp any day of the week. Uh, It's like and I've seen people that are like they post their studio stuff on like Craigslist like, oh, yeah, I'll record you. And then you look at their equipment list and there's like a crate, uh, a crate one by 12 GFX and you're going, are you fucking high? Like, there's no way there's no way you're going to be able to get good guitar sounds out, out of that on on my project. Not Mm -hmm. the kind of sounds I'm after. You might be able to get some like grindy death metal kind of tones out of it, but you're not going to do classic Rocky, like, you know, Mm -hmm. seventies, uh, Iron Maiden kind of stuff. Right. Like that's where I'm like, come on, man, for real. So, (laughs) um, I'm going to, I'm going to approach that conversation with the the three studios that we interact with and be like, look, if, you know, you're going to be reamping my guitars let me bring my amp in. I don't care how you mic it. I don't even need to be here when you do it. I'll bring my amp in. I will drop it off for the day. You can mic right. it up and record it. I will be back at the end of the day to pick it up. Because, mm-hmm. like, I'm not even, I don't want to be involved in that process at all. But that sound is important to me. And, like, to nail the sound of what I sound like, right? Like, that is that is very important to me. This is, like, taking my voice away. Um hmm and I've never faced this conundrum before. So it's very, like, I don't, I, even right now, I I have close friends who know how I play and they know what I'm about, right? And, like, you know me well enough, Jim. I would not hand you, like, my tracks, my my dry DI tracks and be like, all right, here you go, mix my project. Even though I know yep. you know what I'm supposed to sound like, it's just, I don't feel comfortable with that. It's... It's a dangerous proposition.
0: At the same time, I want the project to sound good. And for those who are not aware, so the intro music to our thing, our intro and outro, is David and myself. Mm -hmm. I'm on bass and guitar. David is playing guitar. And he did all the drums. Mm -hmm. And David also... I will be doing the drums on this project, too. (laughs) And David mixed that project. I gave him a dry signal of two or three rhythm guitars and the bass. And he quantized the bass and he did the, he made sure the guitars sounded right. I trusted David to do that. I'm talking to the listeners.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I you. was when you were saying that
0: it was like I'm, I'm you know, are you sure you want me to yeah. do this? Like <laughs> Yeah. And so I didn't do I didn't give him some like crazy, you know, he he did all the work. So I understand where you're coming from now it's speaking to you again. Uh David, is it that I understand where you're coming from right. because um I knew you knew the sound well enough and I trusted you. To know sound well enough to do it better than I would have done myself. Right. And, and that's why I handed that off to you. And you have to have that trust with your engineer. I have I have a question on So I'm, I'm dumb. All right. When it comes to recording stuff. Because I always hear this, you know, I, I heard this when it came to SRV. I heard this when it came to almost every band I've ever read. They were like, yeah, when we finally get ACDC, you name it. Mm-hmm. We finally got into the, into the, and they gave us the sound like we sound live. And mm-hmm. I'm like, what the hell is that supposed to mean? I mean, weren't you in there recording? I mean, wasn't that you standing so, with your amp and your? And and I know what it means in a in a in this sense. A, like but it's such a bullshit here, statement, though. But not in here.
1: That's such a bullshit As, statement, though. Like I've seen. So when you go see bands live, and then they claim that they sound just like they do live on the record, and you're like, no, you don't. The Eagles, maybe. <laughs> now, <laughs> even the Eagles don't. I mean, like. No, because you're about the, because you're about the closest number <laughs> one, the first thing that you're going to notice is that the space is different, right? Like where they're yep. recording at is different. And you are recording in a yep. tiny freaking room? It's not going to be like a hall, you know, right? Um, when or a you're, stadium, exactly. When you're in. When you're in a room with an amp and you're listening to a band and they're not mic'd up and through a PA, right? Cause that's a whole right. other thing. So the band say that, and they're like, "You sound just like we do live, or whatever." And it's like, "Well, yeah, but well, how do you know? Because you're not standing out in front of your gear. You're, right. you're listening to a PA mix. And if you if you think giving somebody a PA mix is the record, is is a good idea? No, no, it's not. Um, it sounds bad, but it sounds like what you need it to. So, okay. Um, point point being. Um, that's just a misnomer statement like people mm-hmm. say that and they what they mean is like it has all the energy and stuff which right. is a big part of what I want to achieve and like for me so i'm getting great performances I, I recorded a guitar solo today and i'm very very proud of it um and i and i did the rhythm ta- i did the rhythm track and the guitar solo i did the rhythm track first take i was like let's go just did it and then i was like okay so there's there were two Measures I had to correct, in the whole, oh. in like a five-minute song. So, um, and the only correction was like I muted a note, or in one case I picked the same. It was a predicated pattern. I picked the same note twice instead of instead of moving the next. Note. I hate it when I do that live. God, to hate it. When... <laughs> yeah, so I just uh, I nobody would have noticed because it's buried under distortion and everything. But I noticed, and I'm like I'm gonna fix this right. because if I don't, so he's gonna bother me. So yep. I fixed it. And then I did the guitar solo, and a t- guitar solo took sixty-four takes. Yep. And I ended up, I ended up flubbing the end on the perfect take, so I actually punched that in, which is the only time I've ever punched in a That's guitar funny. solo, and <laughs> like that I can remember. And you're punching in the last few notes. <laughs> yeah, I punched in tremolo picking pretty much. Which is like hilarious because and, and so now that I said this, like people are going to be listening to my project when it's done. they're going to be like, I know that's the one he punched in um, yeah, yeah. and I'm going to laugh and I'm going to say, well, guess what? I have tremolo picking in all of these solos. So good luck. <laughs> but um, you know, be as a may, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to have to consent to this. Like this is going to happen. I'm going to hand this over to somebody else. But now I've got to work yeah. through and I'm going to share with our listeners as we go through this process. I got to work through do I give the guy DI's with the preamp effects on them, like I use Univibe for certain choruses, um, and and I'm using Univibe on a solo? Do I give him the track with the Univibe already on it, and like, how do I note to him like where I want certain effects? Because I don't want him to have complete control
0: over that. That's part of the songwriting process. For me. That was the part I was going to ask you. So that's the part where I'm I'm like an idiot. So I remember um, uh, an interview with uh, what's uh, Alex Lifeson, and he was talking about early um, time when they, uh, what was their longtime producer Tony something rather, um, who told them that he wanted to remove, uh, he wanted to come in dry, play it dry, he'd put all the effects and blah blah blah. When you hand over to a mix engineer. You've already done that production side of it, haven't you? So you've done the, that all the, the mix engineer is doing is finding levels and, and EQs, right? No, no. no. So no. They're, putting, they're putting effects on there? Mix I engineers
1: were- basically create the sound of the band. Okay. So like you watch enough. Um, I'm sure you watch a lot a lot of Rick Beato because you, you've mentioned him on yeah. the show a lot watch yeah. some of his things where he talks about mix engineering and how the um in the in the 90s bands like rage against the machine, corn, uh yeah. all all these bands were getting all of their mixes were sent to basically like three dudes right and those same three people were basically using the same kick and snare samples to mix with their existing kick and snare samples. And they were using the same amplifiers for all of them. So like everybody was using the same they, they the same they were all getting piped the same dual rectifier or a triple rectifier in the studio with the same cabinet, with the same microphones, probably never even moved, because it became like an assembly line. You just pipe yep. that stuff through there because you knew it worked. Um and that is what if you are really going to go the mix engineer route, like the traditional way, you're giving right. them a lot of a lot of people will give them a fully engineered track with like here's my guitars, here's my they don't use it, right? They go right for the DI's, and and that's the first thing really? they do is like yeah, because they know what works, and they might blend in your original stuff, and and or when they give you your you know like your test mix and you listen to it and you go I don't like this then they might consider using some of your original stuff, but like they go for what works. There is a guy locally and I discovered him today. I was doing some, doing some research looking for studios that could potentially be an alternative to what we've already got. And I found the mm-hmm. studio. I won't say what their name is, but he said, we do a lot of hard rock and a lot of rap and a lot of, and so I look at the hard rock stuff cause that's kind of where we fit. And I was going through the, um, going through his audio clips and every fucking guitar sound in like 24 clips was the same goddamn guitar sound. And mm-hmm. I'm going, it's just a different There's guitar, a different the same amp with different, yeah, different guitar, different, you know, through the same amp with same cab. And I'm going, this is not okay. Like, I'm not going to give you my project. That's bullshit because the guitar yep. sound should change. From band to band, yeah. project to project. I don't want your sound. I want our <clears throat> sound. I want right. you to bring the best out in what we do, not the best in what
0: you do. Um, well, that, that that speaks a lot then, because, you know, we all know that a lot of the pop music that I listened to when I was growing up, and of course into the 90s, and, and uh, whether it was country, rock, whatever, where a lot of the same musicians and a lot of the same engineers... And if that's the case, then that's why when when someone would say like, I, I remember, I remember late 90s, early 2000s country music. I was like, geez, I can't tell the difference. I, I literally can't tell the difference. Now one you know the why. And, and as a matter of fact, it was so bad. You ever notice, um, especially this bro country thing, right? You ever notice you can't tell Eric Church from Luke Bryan from. yeah, and there's, like, and there's like four guitar players playing all of that stuff.
1: Which and, is even more it's like,
0: ridiculous. Right. So not only does band sound the same, but they're, they're EQing the life out of the singer's voice and making it... They want them to sound the same
1: because then they fit the mix the same for all the other instruments that are basically being applied either through plugins or at the mix engineer level. So I'm glad we're actually having this conversation. This is not really gig report, uh, except that this is my gig, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to... I'm pointing out like something that's very important for people to understand when you first go start going through this process. Remember, Nick Nick Bongers is on here, right? And he was telling me the story about like his his studio recording project process for uh, for the band that he's in, um, and I forget their name offhand. It's it's a secondary band other than the Kiss band, um, right? And he was talking about like they go in the studio and the guys would go, "No, you're going to use our amps. Like we don't want you to use your amps because they were already pre miked and everything." And that's a very real thing and also a very real problem because Mm -hmm. like now you're asking me to change 50% of my system and I'm sorry, Mm -hmm. I don't agree with the idea that um, everybody should play the same through every piece of equipment. Every piece of equipment I pick up makes me feel a different way and makes me play differently. And it's not because I'm a bad player. It's because gear emotes to me. It says something to me Mm -hmm. when it's in my hands. And um, I can make my PRS sort of do my strat thing if I want. But it's mm-hmm. but the point is like, that's not what I have it for, right? right? Like I have it for the specific thing that I do with it when I do it, um, which I am using the PRS on this all over this record. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't want to ever think- end up in a situation where somebody's like, no, you're going to plug into this PV Classic 50 because we know it very well and we've got it mic'd up. Pro-. It's like, no, dude, I'm paying you by the hour. Give me an hour to mic up my amp properly, record some sound samples, move the mics around. I'm not, I don't record stereo. I don't even give a shit about that. Like, we're not going to put a 57 and a 9 or 409 or 904 or, you know, or 906 on it and a 421. Right. Like, you're going to use one of those three three mics. Just use one of those. It's fine. Or, or a Royer mm-hmm. 121, six inches off the cone. Like, just mm-hmm. just pick one. Like I can go with any of those and whatever sounds right in the room. Right. And what gives you the most, the most signal level and broadest yep. spectrum of frequencies that you can adjust and post to make it fit the right. mix. Because like I, and and if, if it comes down to this, one of those things where the guy's like, well, what do you want to sound like? Right. Like, what do you want your guitar to sound like? I'm going to tell him, I'm going to be like, look, I want it to be a mix of Eddie Van Halen, uh, Robin Trower and, and Jimi Hendrix. Like, if you can yep. do those three things and give me sounds that are kind of like in that ballpark from the amplifier on the record, right. I don't care if the band sounds like that. I'm, I'm just saying that's what I want my guitar sound to sound like. like. Exactly. And I can give you specific songs, too. So it's like that's not a problem. But the question is, where's your level of expertise? Can you do this? Or are you just right. gonna take like whatever Fender amp you have lying around, turn it up to ten, and and uh, cut all the bass off so that you can hopefully get a good distortion sound out of it? Because yep. unfortunately, a lot of these places are run on shoestring budgets, and that's right. Like, I, I if if I walk into your studio and you're like, "Oh, we're gonna record here," and I tell you I'm gonna play hard rock music, and I'm I'm familiar with Mesa Boogie like style amps. And the guy goes, well, we've got a Fender Twin and we have um, – I'm thinking like a Marshall's even too close. but Like a Fender Twin and we have a 4x10 a, a bassman. Yeah. And you go, how are you going to give me my sound out of a Fender <laughs> ten or a Twin or a 4x10? Let me get my dual rack out of the truck. You know what I mean? Like, And then they're like, well, no, we don't want to do that. Could you imagine like – that's your that's your sound. You're not going right. to get the sound of a dual rack out of a four x ten basement. It's just not
0: right. going to happen. Um, and that's what that was um, uh, Lifeson's complaint when they did that to him. Yeah, because that was the time period where his guitar got really dry, and right. they started using solid state amps. That was Grace under pressure. Yeah, and, uh, you know the um, the the one that um, had the big the big money was on and that type of thing. Um, power windows. Uh, the, it really did take Alex Lifeson out of what he was to to people who listened to him. I felt like it was a mix
1: oh. engineer trying to turn, when I listened to that stuff, it, it felt like a mix engineer trying to take Rush and turn him into New Wave. Yeah. And it was like, they're doing this because... They're trying to market this band in a very specific direction. And you wonder was, if that's almost at the like the request of the recording company rather than yeah. you know, the record company rather than the band.
0: Because it was it's aesthetic like, Yep. It was an aesthetic choice. And I don't mean a physically aesthetic choice, although they were playing Steinbergers and stuff like that, which is kind of aesthetic but physically. But I mean aesthetic as far as like an aesthetic sound like you said trying to make them sound new wave trying to make them sound uh, you know which which that's a rock trio that's a that's a progressive rock
1: trio like yeah. that was a mistake um with- you know what I mean like that's not there's nothing you can say about that that was like that was a good idea that was a mistake they and, and in quite in point of fact um I would have tried to get that record remade. Like I would have said, you know yeah, what? Yep. Let's let's just take my DI's and go do it over here ourselves. And in that way, yep. maybe if we if we end up, I mean, we're gonna blow money on this. But if we end up going through this process and I'm not happy with it, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a dick about it. And I'm gonna be like, look, I I right. Let's take all the other stuff. Let's ask let's ask for stems of what he's done, and I'm gonna do the guitar tracks myself. And that maybe that that maybe what ends up happening, but I'm I have a feeling. I hope so. If we're if we're putting money on this, I'm just gonna walk in and be like, "Look, dude, let me let me just come in. I'll bring you my cab. I'll bring you my amp. I can I can even let you pick from what I have. You know, I'll tell you what I got, and then I'll just let you amp it in the studio, and like I'll I'm gonna write notes to you about where, you know." where effects go and you can just do all that then and if and if he says well no actually why don't you just uh, just put that on the the tracks that you give me then I'll be like okay I can do all the preamp effects you can add the delay and the reverb and you know because um, I don't mind that like I don't care you, you put whatever delay and reverb you want on it I don't give a shit uh, even EQ like to an extent I don't care about because I know people think like oh no don't touch my EQ listen you gotta cut EQ to, to tailor to a track. There's nothing you can do about that. The, yep. the, the trick is to have the right guitar sound before the EQ. Um, because then when they EQ it, it's not so like it's it's not a tough choice for them to make. It's like, okay, we know there's a deficiency here for this mix, so we gotta just cut a little bit. Um, but also that even though you can you can apply massive amounts of EQ to a track, the guitar sound is still a guitar sound underneath. You're just you know, you're just cutting away like it's that you could still tell. Like if you took Van Halen and 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 added a bunch of bass back into it, and then like cut out some treble and stuff, like it's you could still tell with Van Halen's tone. You're you're still right. going to be able to tell that out of that track. It people seem to think that like you can use an EQ to radically change things, unless you're doing drastic things to the mid range, which they're not going to do in a production environment like that. Um, you're not gonna you're not gonna destroy it. So it's just a matter of like bringing the equipment to them and being like, here, let's let's mic this up and let's do this right. And if I have to pay a little extra to... Dude, if I have to pay to to bring my amp in and have him mic it up and then run all my tracks through it for DI, like, I'll do it. I don't care. It's an extra... What's it going to cost me? An extra 100 bucks. This is an extra hour of time or whatever? Like, it's not a big deal. We already know sort of where we're going to be at cost-wise because it's a five-song EP. It's not going to be horrendously expensive, but it's you know, there's gonna be some money and I'm gonna pay half of it, so um, I want it done right. I'll pay the I'll pay the additional money that I need to do to get it done right. So that's it. Um, but for any of our listeners who've never done this, like, these are interesting things that you've probably never thought about. Like, putting your faith in somebody else that they're going to take your song and your performance and your voice and do it justice rather than Um, just try to churn out a product that sounds like, you know, some specific rock act. Um, case in point, like just to talk about the mix engineering thing, one more step before I close this out here. I mean, think about, listen to those records from like anything really from like 1998 to like 2005 guitar records, specifically rock and metal. You will hear, and it is, it's gotta be the same goddamn triple rack. On all of that stuff. Um, even Rage Against the Machine. I mean, you listen to those records, and they're very clearly not Marshall JCM 800s on some of those tracks. And you're wondering how that happened. It's because they they were sent to a mix engineer, and he took the DI and routed it through something else. He might have the 800 mixed in there, but there's something else there, too, in a lot of those tracks. And, like, the corn stuff is all... Dual racks and Triple racks and they all sound identical. And that the West Borland sound from Limp Bizkit—it's the same thing. And it's because those bands were providing sub they, and to to the mix engineer subpar uh, guitar sounds for mixing for the appropriate mix, and he had the ability to just say, "Screw it, we're gonna go through it through this through this amp because I know this works." And You know, they don't in their in their situation, they were contractually obligated for the mix engineer to have final say. So the record company signed off. The band didn't say shit, which is one thing that people don't understand is that it wasn't like the mix engineer sent it back to the band. The mix engineer was the last step in the chain before mastering the band. Got to say it. Mastering. And basically, at that point, it was already a done deal, you know. Um, so it's like tough shit, guys. This is th- this is it, you know. It's coming out, um, and quite frankly, I think everybody would listen to those records and think they're well produced. They, they sound very, very fucking modern and like fantastic, uh, way over the top, even overproduced, even. And that's the sound now, you know. Yeah. And it was it a is. very specific sound based on a very specific set of techniques done by a very specific set of people over and over and over across many different artists. <laughs> um, in fact, if you Google, if you Google around, you can find out who those people were, and you can actually pass your mixes to them, and they'll do what they were doing, um, yeah. which is pretty wild. But but because uh, I looked into it a while back, they they charge. Quite a bit of money be yeah. fair. But if you want to sound just like corn in nineteen, you know,
0: nineteen ninety eight. <laughs> yeah, nineteen ninety eight, yeah,
1: mix, and then like you'll get you'll get back corn in nineteen ninety-eight. Um actually, um one last aside, so so um Billy Eilish, who came up with the Coachella conversation earlier, people like love Phineas, her brother and his production on that first record. And they're like talking about like how he recorded this at home. And it's so amazing. First off, almost everything you listen to now is probably recorded at home. Um, Right. The reality is even the demo process for the most part, unless, unless it's a live band, like playing all their instruments in the same room, it's probably done in people's home studios. Um, The the technology has gotten that good that you can, for a few thousand dollars, have a studio to get your instrument recorded in the most professional way possible in a repeatable environment. Um, Second off, what they don't realize is that Phineas was not the only one to win a Grammy for that record. There was a mix engineer and I can almost guarantee you that the mix engineer made that record um, because they're still doing that stuff, right? You ever wonder why all the pop records sound exactly alike? right? They're getting sent to the same mix engineers. Um, so that's why, that's why I think it's funny that he got all the credit. Cause I'm like, nobody knows what he actually turned into the mix engineer. Like the only people that know are the mix engineer and the recording company. Um, Who probably made the, who probably made the handoff. Now they, they they knew there was enough there when they got it from him to make her a marketable, you know, commodity. So they got good talent people that understood that. But whether his tracks were like demo quality or his tracks were like what's on the album, which I suspect they weren't. Uh, is a whole different thing because they got passed off to a mix engineer. We will never know what they sounded like before that happened.
0: Right. So just that's just food for thought. Well, I think. um I think that they did that decision to let people believe it was him. Uh, that's a marketing and, decision. Absolutely. Right. Because it. It shows. Look at look at what this young person did all by themselves. It's the very it's the TikTok It YouTube. makes
1: her. What do I call it? It gives her credibility and it gives him yeah. credibility.
0: And it it puts her because she's on their level. They can they can look at Billy Eish and project themselves on her. Right. That's what people do. Exactly.
1: Exactly. So it's not this is not a problem. Like I'm not uh, I'm not yeah. railing against it's not the terrible. For I, oh no. I'm not I'm not railing against Billy Eilish or anything. I want to make it very clear. I'm just saying that, like, that whole thing is sort of a myth. That it was just him and her that made that record. There were a number of other people involved in that process, including a mastering engineer and a mixing engineer and A&R people who were probably making suggestions before the album came out. Maybe they went back and they actually retooled some things. Like, I'm willing to bet that there is a lot more story there than people recognize. Um... And the funny thing is when you compare this to the way bands used to make records, like let's say you're black Sabbath making black Sabbath, right? The first record. Yep. Do you think there was a producer in the room that was making suggestions about what the record company wanted or that the, or that the record company was involved in that recording process, making suggestions about what Black Sabbath should do. Do you think that record specifically, because I'm sure you've heard it, do you think that record had the studio or had the record company involved in it? They would never have put that record out. They would know ne- in hell because it was scary. Like they would have been like, how are we going to sell this? Like that's where I'm saying like back in the day, it, the 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 way that the executives looked at things was like totally differently because they were like we're just looking for the next big thing and we're willing to take chances and make and take risks and we will let a band self-produce themselves or you know bring in a producer that's more receptive to what they want to do um today it's not like that at all today it's to the point where even the music itself is not signed off on until the mix engineer gets to it and then the, and then the record company signs on off after that um it's just a whole different. Like it's a totally different world. There's no risks being taken whatsoever in a, in a product, um, whether it's Billy Eilish, Katy Perry, or you know, um, Rival Sons. Like it just doesn't matter. Um, so that's that's what I wanted to leave our listeners with. When you get into the, one of these situation conundrums, you get a lot of things to consider, and it can be dangerous. And you have to like rationalize your path forward in a way that makes sense for you. So I've been David. I've been Jim. And tonight we've been Practical Guitarists.